Welcome to episode 39 of the Cincy Postcast. I'm your host, Kevin, and this is a really, really fun episode, or at least it was a blast to record. We're talking U.S. men's national team success in Qatar and in the World Cup in part one. Just a ton of fun watching this team do really well in part two in the 11th out of the 18, but also a special, special film room session looking at United Passions, the FIFA propaganda film from 2015, where Sep Blatter is the hero of the story. What? You need to watch this film too. And then finally we wrap, I should say I wrap with a rant about FC Cincinnati communications or lack thereof. And that'll be your episode 39. Joining me in the celebratory episode of getting out of the group, we've got the Chief, we've got Grayson. Chief, where did you watch USA Iran? I was up at Northern Row Brewing, you know, supporting oh. the local folks. Just I did the pitch for match one. I saw yeah. Grayson there. We were made eye contact during the match, had a celebratory drink after the match for the <laughs> celebratory tie. Just too many people. Like, it was... There was just too much going on. Like my anxiety increased by the sheer number of people that were also anxious and stressed out. So this was a lot more low key. I could have walked out quietly if things had gone wrong and, you know, that sort of thing. (laughs) And I just want to give it up for Greg Berhalter. I think just in a round of applause, a person who I I've always been a long supporter of. I've always been (laughs) many times on this podcast and in other mediums. I've said that Greg is our man. The extra G, it stands for greatness. And just clap it up for Greg right here. That's where I'm at right now. I'm imagining in the future a uh, Brenner and Greg Berhalter combo team just dominating whatever league, whatever tournament they're in, uh, putting a putting a smile on the Chiefs' face there. <laughs> <laughs> Grayson, same question to you. Where did you watch this this epic thriller? Uh, in, in my in my office on my phone. <laughs> we won't tell anybody. Don't um, worry. <laughs> I was in a uh, I was in a. a Actually, for, for most of the game, I was in like a virtual meeting that <laughs> I didn't need to participate in or be on video for. Nice. Um, so I put on the closed captions for the meeting and the sound for the game in my earbuds. <laughs> now that's strong. <laughs> <laughs> just in case, you know, just in case, you know, I, I needed to. Yeah. You always have like a couple extra seconds when you get called on in these things because you can like. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Like, I didn't realize I, I was muted. Oh, I didn't realize I was muted. I got to put my video on. Like, oh, sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. I don't know what happened. I clicked the button. Yeah, you're you're panicking for a reason. It's like, oh, I I, I had to put some pants on. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> huh? I did have to do the uh, the classic the other day. Uh, I I'm so sorry. My headphones weren't working. Could you repeat the question? And I was maybe maybe not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, you, you watched that uh, Pulisic goal, and you had to go to the bathroom and like start checking for lumps. Like, like, oh, I should Suddenly I should make sure everything. I should make sure I'm I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, a self check is still a check. Oh, my some of God. some of, some of us self check more often than others. 
Well, USA wins one to nothing, vanquishes the foe of 1998, uh, Iran. Uh, we'll we'll try to pretend like the mental foe state of, of, foe, the, of uh, foe of 1998, foe <laughs> of the 1970s. <laughs> uh, fair, okay, I mean the football team wasn't doing much to us in the 70s. Yeah, it did not. Uh, yeah, yeah, but they knew they knew what was going on when That's those true. hostages got taken. They they didn't dis. I didn't hear the Iranian football team disavow the hostage crisis at any point. <laughs> well, so as far I as mean, I'm concerned, that makes them culpable. Speaking of hostages, uh, allegedly their family members were taken hostage in case they tried. Boy, that's an, that's any an all-time sort of protest. That's an all-time transition right there. <laughs> well, speaking what I'm of hostages, to, folks. What I'm trying to say is, I'd like to imagine that this was entirely the brilliance of the United States. Although I, I will, I will in, in the, the darker moments wonder did. Was their mentality thrown off on this game? But no, this was this was a thrilling, exciting game. It was nerve wracking, sure, and there's plenty to critique, especially in the second half. But I mean, this first half was like I don't know the best we've ever seen of the U.S. Men's National Team in the last ten years. I am I wrong? Like this was incredible, free flowing soccer. I mean, I don't know what else to critique here. This was great. I think you critique the same thing that we kind of pinpointed as a as as the Achilles heel coming in is you know who's going to score the goals on this team. Yeah. Um when you don't have a good reliable number 9. I mean Sargent was Sargent was at least, you know, noticeable. He was when he's good out there, game. right? Yeah. He was yeah. good. I like I I don't I know he hasn't scored and that is, you know, it's it is important for him to score. But I don't think Sargent's been, you know, altogether bad this tournament. Um, but we haven't had a nine connecting any of those crosses into the box. No, we no. have guys, we have guys whipping in like pretty good balls, you know, yeah. from what what Robinson and uh, Dest and others are 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 putting in. So. You know, just in, uh, just I, in case, I, just in yeah. case Christian Pulisic listens to this, can we just not refer to whipping balls just for the remainder of this podcast? <laughs> Be gentle. Yeah, so, so you know, I, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on the on the negative, but you know, like like at the end of the game, uh, Haji gets gets a pass in the box yeah. that I have seen Brandon Vasquez finish. Yes. You yeah. Know, at least a half dozen times this season, that exact play where you have numbers, you know, he the, you pass to the striker right on the side, and he just puts it right past the goalie far post. We saw we've seen that happen, and Haji just kind of sputtered yeah. out. But other than but you know other than other than you know, danger dan- being dangerous in the box, which is a big other than, um, <laughs> they looked really really good to a man um yeah you know and especially in that first half yeah yeah i um it, you asked the question was this the best the national team has looked i actually think and i this this is probably a hot take i think they looked better against the uk against england mm. than they did in this you mean match. wales and England, those two yes, games, collect, collectively, the two games against yeah. the UK. <laughs> yeah, I, they, they looked better against England on the whole, I think, than they looked against Iran. Against superior competition, I thought they played better. They played with more discipline. They didn't create the chances they created in this game, 
Um, but if you if you just took top to bottom, which effort would I would I prefer out of the national team? Setting aside the win aspect of the Iranian game, I thought they played better in the England game and got a better result in the England game than they probably. Hmm. I would have I would have figured them to get ahead of this tournament. Um, yeah, my, my takeaway from the from the England game was that it felt like what you want you what you want. It felt like, almost like a throwback game. But what bit, happens yeah. when when you get that kind of just ruthless effort that American teams have been known for over the years? Yeah, um, when there is a smaller gulf in quality in the players on, on both teams. I agree. I agree completely. And I think that there was a certain of that scrappy American hang in there mentality versus England, but it, it wasn't like the, 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 the game was one direction only. I mean, they right. had moments where they, they moved forward. They had moments where they created chances, where they put some pressure on England. I think that the, the possession was way less lopsided than this game would have been if you would have run it back eight years ago or 12 years ago. Um, it's they're nowhere near the quality in terms of man down the roster quality that England is. I don't think there's a single player on the U.S. roster that makes the English roster. But having said that, the top to bottom quality isn't. I think Des isn't like Des would be maybe. Pulisic you say maybe that, the but they're end. benching Trent and uh, Alexander Arnold, and he's arguably the best right back in the world. So mm, disagree. So, so what? what <laughs> My, my big, I don't want to, I, I have plenty I can nitpick about the way the U.S. has played. I think there's no killer instinct on this team in terms of finishing. That yeah. Pulisic goal is the, the closest they've come. And it was an incredible goal in terms of just a full, complete body and soul sellout to get that ball across the line. But multiple times, it wasn't just the the Haji Wright thing. There was, what was it, Tim Weem or uh, Tim Way at the, uh, with the header where he just doesn't feel that he has t- time and space and jumps up and delivers yeah. a weak header when he is one V one with the goalkeeper where it's just time I, to take it on his foot. Yeah. Ugh. And that's, that's just lacking. That's lacking a striker's instinct, that instinct of knowing where you are in time and space and having that almost, you know, Jedi like ability to sense that there's no one around me. I can knock this down and I can play this off my foot. I don't have to take the weakest option on this i mean so you can nitpick that and you can nitpick the fact that they're going to go through to the knockout stage having only scored two goals which is i think at this point the lowest goal scoring total of any team that's through um i think there's only (laughs) one other team right now that's on one goal of those that have played the two matches they haven't played their third match yet so by the time you listen to this this may be outdated but only scoring two goals and going through is kind of a red flag in terms of you know how the team played to a certain extent, but there's so many positives that it just outweighs that they only gave up one goal and it was a, uh, a, a penalty. They didn't give up a yeah. single goal from open play. Um, and there are so many players that just the best version of them showed up in Qatar. Um, the number one person who I think just deserves a huge shout out that I don't see getting enough love online is Matt Turner. Yes. He hasn't had a lot to yes. do from from a from a shot stopping point of view. And that was his reason for being on the team is that he was a he was a shot stopper. But his distribution has been incredible. Just yeah. absolutely flat out incredible. Um, you take for granted a little bit um, just how many balls an average goalkeeper in and even at MLS or even at a higher level end up out of bounds or played to the wrong guy. I, I, I can only count 
maybe one or two thinking back on it of balls he played in distribution where they immediately put the team in a bad position or they went out of play. So I, I think he has been absolutely phenomenal as part of that back line anchoring things. Um, yeah, you know, Tyler Adams has been been the man of the match, uh, oh, the, yeah. the man of the tournament for the United States. Uh, Absolutely. You look, like, you look at somebody like Pulisic, too, where it's like, you know, that that's why you send a guy or you encourage a guy to go find a team in a club that plays Champions League football. Because that's a Champions League moment right there where you're not going to have a ton of opportunities in like a knockout round of the Champions League. And you've got to make them count. You've got to show up for when the moment chooses you. And it can't be too big for him. And it wasn't. And, you know, just it's it's little things like that where there were a lot of question marks going into this team for the for entering into the tournament. And maybe other than Walker Zimmerman, um, Jordan Morris and a couple of the people we already knew were kind of suspect. They haven't had the the, the total meltdown from anyone that right. they were counting on playing well. And that's that's the story of the U.S. so far for these three games is they got the best version of their best players and the results and the quality showed, I think. Yeah, with with Turner, I was frankly surprised how good he is at distribution because, like I've said, I don't watch MLS and he has his start all the games for the, for the national team, at least up to the World Cup. And I sure as hell am not watching, you know, Arsenal Cup games. So I don't, <laughs> I've not seen a lot of Matt Turner. So I just, I guess I just like assumed he was really shitty with his feet, right? which is why Zach Steffen was favored time and time again. Right. Um, but you know, he, he's got, he, I think, I think one of his, I think, I think he broke lines with, with the, with the pass that led to the goal. Sure did. Yeah. Um, and you know his kicks like roman kicks like a guy who's a american college keeper i say <laughs> yes. that i say that with with i say that with love but you know matt's got some he's, he's got some big boy kicks when he when he needs to i um, love his quick throws his quick restart yeah, yeah, throws yeah, yeah, yeah. are really good except except in the the, the dying he's, he's moments of this player. game in the dying moments of this game, he did a quick restart, and I was like, "The fuck are you doing, man? Fall yeah, down!" Yeah. See, see the game out, please. Yeah, there was a time too. We had a quick break, and it was like, "Boys, just go to the corner. Why? Why right. are you trying to do this?" The, um, the wild, you know, thing, the wild thing about Matt Turner before we, we get off his topic is he didn't play soccer till he was in high school. Yeah, and he was like a, a college keeper. He didn't get drafted. Like, what a he hell of a story! Walked on to his college team. So he he didn't he didn't take a scholarship, walked on there, uh, didn't get drafted, ended up taking, I think, an amateur contract in what was the PDL, which is now USL League Two, eventually played his way onto was it Richmond? He eventually he, played his, his Wikipedia way. picture is currently him in a <laughs> Richmond kickers jersey standing in front of the Bailey. <laughs> At Nippert, right, yeah. At Nippert, so, yes. Which, the number of people that have looked up Matt Turner's Wikipedia page, that is the most, now, this is the most a Richmond kickers jersey has ever been seen in the history of the Richmond kickers. <laughs> that is a fact. Uh, but yeah, the fact that he just like continued to play his way up and up the, the ladder to the point where, yeah, he's a, uh, I mean, people say a heartbeat away from the 
presidency. He's a heartbeat away from being Arsenal's uh, leading goalkeeper uh, and is crushing it at the World Cup. Just insane. Uh, the guy who stood out for me this tournament is Tim Ream. And not that because we didn't think he could do the job, but he's a guy that we all knew could do the job, but Berhalter refused to call up for a year. He was doing really good in the championship. He was doing really good in the Premier League. Never got a call up. Never got a call up. Now starts all three games. Zimmerman gets benched in this game. Like Reem is the number one center back right now, I think. And um, yeah, he was a guy who wasn't even close to making this uh, this roster before the roster came out and all of a sudden he's on there and starting and starting every game uh that's been incredible to see and i know this is something we we talked about a little bit before we were we were recording but i i will give burhalter full credit here in that he had his guys lined up for years basically this is the core group the core players that he was going to take to this tournament and what feels like 30 days before the tournament kicked off, he completely scrapped it and brought in new guys. Cameron Carter-Vickers didn't play a single minute in qualifying and starts this game. He, he's tapped to to start the absolute must-win game. Tim Ream, similarly. You had uh, Ferreira, which everybody assumed was Burhalter's starter, uh, has not started. I, did he, I don't did he think come he's played a, a minute. I was going to no. say, he might have come in as a sub, but I didn't think so. I don't think uh, so. Yeah, Jordan he, he, Morris has more minutes than him. And Jordan Morris has, like, came in for, what, eight minutes or whatever it was at the end of the game? Fifteen, maybe. Um, yeah, just a lot of these guys that were sort of like Burhalter's guys, Zach Steffen being a big one, uh, that that Ber, uh, Burhalter scrapped right before the tournament. And they've all been good moves, generally. So... Full credit for recognizing what wasn't working and, and changing the course there. Um, the thing I love about Rain yeah. is, and I, I don't really know a great way to describe this, but I think it's like you, you watch guys, like anybody who plays at like a really high level, um, there's a lot of things that they do differently than, let's say you're, no offense, that like average MLS player. Yeah. And, and I think in MLS, like let's say in the midfield and on offense, um, most of the players in the league um, see, see option A, you know, like the most obvious pass and they make it, you know, and they do a lot of like kind of shorter passes to move the ball around the midfield. Mm -hmm. But if you have a player like McKenney or, or Musa and other guys who play at a higher level, they don't they make the pass that connects to the next guy. Right. Right. And it's like, they, they, they go one more, one guy past. They're skipping guys with their passes and they're moving the ball faster down the field and yep. in more, in a more dangerous way. It's, it's think, an interesting, it's an interesting think, thing about like with soccer like that is <clears> that, and I'll, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that the big difference between guys that play at a high level and the guys that have that we have now versus the guys we used to have on the national team is soccer is a game about space. It's about finding mm -hmm. space, creating space. And the guys like you're talking about, like your Reem, like your Musa, they require less space to operate in. And they do what they do in less space. They do it with less motion and they do it quicker because space closes down so fast at this level. I agree. It's been phenomenal to watch. And so like Reem does like the defensive, I guess, like version of that where – 
you you get you get a guy, he he gets a guy who has the ball around the box. And a lot of times, like a like a Walker Zimmerman does this, but Hagland would do this. You know, you go in and you block the ball and you knock the ball out of bounds. Right. right. Reem is so much more patient than the defenders that I'm used to seeing, like playing for the national team and playing in major league soccer, um, where he, he waits and he picks a spot where he he's containing the guy, keeping him from doing anything really dangerous, you yeah. know? And when he gets the spot, he wins the ball, you know, yeah. like he either ends up with the ball or ends up knocking the ball to one of his teammates. So we get possession. Out of it. Yeah. And that makes so much difference, like on the margins and at, at this level, you need, you need to be winning those margins to make yourself make your team that much better get that much more of the ball and get that much more of an advantage over the competition that you're that that you're playing and that was the that was to a certain extent fc cincinnati fans should understand this because that was sort of the genius of Woboto. is that Woboto was a guy where he wasn't just a you know i'm going to break up the attack i break up the attack i gain possession and i start the ball moving forward the other direction too and yeah and that was a revelation on this team and seeing it done on the national level against markedly superior competition that they're going against it has been, it's been fantastic. Just the, the entire defense and the entire structure of the U S midfield and back line has been so, so impressive in this game uh, yeah. to not concede a goal from open play. And I, I really enjoyed, uh, I think it was Doyle's little tweet today <laughs> yes. that the only goal scorer against the U S men's national team is an MLS striker, which <laughs> fucking Gareth Bale. So your mileage may vary is exactly how MLS that is, but it's been so, so impressive to watch for long stretches of this tournament, how well the, the midfield of the United States is disruptive of what the opposition is trying to do, but also scary scary good at times of possessing in small spaces quick concise passing and and moving the ball moves faster than people do and that's only happens if you move the ball and they've been there have been so few times in this tournament where you've seen the classic mls move of guy waits too long to do something all space closes down and they have to play a bad pass to one another it's been very rare that you've seen them pick out a bad pass or play a pass that's too slow. And it, they almost stick out in your mind thinking back over these last three games because of how rare they've been. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think we should also, I mean, now we're basically naming all the starters, but I think, yes. I think that, I think that, um, like I think Dave that, Lapham Bengals post game show, we're just going to name every single person and ask what a great game they had. Yeah. I think, I think Dest, I think Dest and Jedi, Oh, uh, so deserve good. a world of credit. We've had absolutely guest especially. We've had so much trouble with in you know in the past with our with our right and left back. Mm-hmm. Um, there we went years without having anybody who you could play at left back against a decent team. So you're having to go with like, I mean, Dest was that guy for a little while. Yeah. Um, Fabian Johnson was was playing was playing left back. I mean, fucking Daniel Lovitz was 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 getting we, getting games. We made Demarcus Beasley our left back. Probably would have been right. the starting left back in 2018 had we made the World Cup. So, <laughs> so for for the for for Robinson to come in and just be so solid at left back and letting Dest go play on the right and the amount of two way work those guys have been doing this World Cup 
mm-hmm. is incredible. And you know, we all we all we all know Death's reputation. Um, that you know he turns off at moments that he can be kind of careless with the ball that he does that he's not always interested on defense. I I feel like he's been getting back yep consistently all game every game. He's yeah. been very solid defensively against some really good attackers. Um and you know he's been dangerous with the ball in the in in the attacking half. You know, yeah, repeat, yeah. Fre- frequently making, you know, dribbling around guys or getting getting through a couple of guys and doing stuff that that you just aren't used to seeing from players on the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, um, yeah. and they've con- they've contributed yeah. to owning the corners, like yeah. all four corners of the field. The United States has owned. And you can think back of watching all three of these games. There have been multiple opportunities and times when you have seen the United States come in on the end line in the attacking zone from the corners. No one gets beat on the corners on the defensive end. It's all we, they, the United States owns the end lines, owns the corners. Yep. All the attacks that have come in for the United States have come in from the center and from deeper up the field. Like they're not letting teams get behind them on the backs. And, and that's entirely based on Jedi and Des and their ability to play end to end and not sacrifice their defensive responsibilities while still getting forward into dangerous positions. The work rate for both of them has just been off the charts in this tournament. Just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been incredible to watch. And I, it's just funny too, that like going into this tournament, you would have said the two weakest points would have been center back and striker. And then the consensus was, is that this was the weakest goalkeeping position or pool uh, that we've had in a long time. And the center backs have been incredible. The defense has held up. Turner's looked as good as any keeper has looked for the U.S. in a World Cup. And, I mean, this is an FCC podcast. I know people have asked us, uh, do we do we say this in jest? Are we serious? I mean, there is very obviously a Brandon vasquez size hole up top. And that is, like, just the missing piece here. Even if you didn't want Vasquez to start, you really wanted somebody faster who could drop in, which I still think Vasquez could do the job. You're telling me you don't want Vasquez winning headers at the end of this Iran game in the box when we're just getting pelted by, you know, cross after cross. You don't want the big 6'6 striker in there heading things away. Come on. Haji Wright isn't that guy. No, pressing. Thing about Vas- pressing or also Vasquez, one of the best strikers in MLS in terms of that, like hold up play striker, big body striker, one of the best at drawing fouls too. Yes. Like he draws tons and tons of fouls, which are do wonders to kill games off. Um, it's been all positive and sunshine. I do have a couple things that I think I'm concerned about going forward. Yeah. Right, we got number, the Netherlands coming up. And so right, weaknesses will be exposed. <laughs> my, my biggest weakness so far with this team, and it's, it's kind of starting to piss me off a little bit is our set pieces have been atrocious. Oh, they're awful. They've been they're awful. awful. Like, I don't understand why Christian Pulisic keeps taking set pieces. It doesn't make any sense to me. A, he's not good at it. Like he's Lucho Acosta level of bad of his service <laughs> into the box. And it's God loves Lucho. Yeah. He's not fucking good at it. And the other thing too I don't understand about it is that he is far and away 
the player that you most want the ball to fall to his feet yes. in a chaotic situation. Your ideal usage of Christian Pulisic on a set piece is someone bigger than him knocks the ball down and he worms his way in and scores a goal. He's done that in the Premier League a non-insignificant number of times for Chelsea. Um, the set pieces for the United States have been a disaster Having Pulisic take of them makes absolutely no sense. And in tournament-style soccer, set pieces win and lose games. They have been yes. lucky, quite frankly, that they haven't been you know, more in need of a set-piece goal at any point during this tournament. And that has to get better now, like right now, yeah. before this next match on Saturday. I thought his I, corners were really good against England. I just think that there wasn't a Brandon Vasquez there. I don't know why Haji Wright yeah. was like no nowhere near the six yard box. On on I thought that's why he's there. I thought he was like our big right. target striker. What's he right. doing? And i I think if I think if there's I think if there's somebody who's six foot four and gets up uh, in the six yard box on those corners against England, I don't think we get shut out. Yeah, I, I mean it'd be interesting. I I think I mean I would put. Robinson and Dest on these set pieces. They they are clearly good at whipping in the ball, and they're guys that you don't necessarily – I mean, assuming it's on the right side, you have Dest take it. It's on the left side, you take Robinson take it. Um, you don't need them in the attack. You have the other one cover in behind for, for the fast break going back, the counter going back. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why Pulisic does it. When uh, Aronson came in – I dramatic improvement on corners i thought and or uh, Acosta when he's taking Acosta is such a better free kick taker half tempted to have him start i don't know who you pull but you almost want that ability in the team against the netherlands for when you do get the inevitable free kick outside of the box uh um, all right so set pieces yeah. are my number one my so i have three What's number my number two, two please number number two is i feel just watching this turn, our counters and our breaks have been incredibly disappointing. They're that awful. when when there have been opportunities to have odd man rushes or you know catch def, uh, opposing teams out of shape and press forward, there have been too many touches. There have been bad touches. There hasn't been good communication or good vision with the ball. Just in this game against Iran, there were at least three that stand out in my mind opportunities where they had Iran broken out of shape and just a bad, just a just bad play cost them the opportunity for goals. It happened versus Wales too. I I think part of that is that you are missing that striker presence. I don't even, I mean, I'm done even saying Brandon Vasquez, like even a a presence like Brenner of someone that is just get this guy, the ball. He has a nose for goal and a vicious killer instinct. And uh, against teams that are, that are equally matched or better than the United States. And the, the Netherlands will be that you need to win when you catch them out of shape, you need to punish mistakes and the United States has not done a good job punishing mistakes in this tournament so far. Yeah. I think that one of the other problems is, and look, I, I want to say this for, I want to say this for Christian Pulisic. He's saying he gets a lot of criticism from the national team. Uh, and I'm, I'm about to criticize him now, but there's a school of thought out there that he's done nothing for the national team, you know, it was largely before this world cup. And that's just, that's just simply not true. He's right. got more goals per game for the U.S. national team than anybody but Clint Dempsey. Okay, so just <laughs> I think people just need to chill out and and put yeah. in you know respect him a little bit. But he's been awful in 
in on these on these breaks. It's and he's he's dri- sure. he's dribbling. He's dribbling at defenders, and he's just I think he's just over dribbling. Yes. And there's been so many times that he could have released, you know, I think it's usually Wea. I think there was definitely one at least with with Sargent, where if he had just been a little quicker, you know, a little quicker thinking. Um, is it is it just indecisiveness? Is it indecisiveness or is it selfishness? Because I've gone back and forth on this. Does he think think he can beat the guy or is he just taking too long to decide to pass? I don't believe that he – I think that if there was someone that that was a a lockdown goal-scoring threat on this team where if they had a true number nine, whoever that may be, um, and that he felt comfortable distributing to someone where it's like this man scores goals, maybe – but I think that like he rightly judges that if anyone's going to do this, it's going to be me. Mm. And I don't he think he be, trusts his teammates in those situations. He should be comfortable laying it off to Wea. I think Wea is shown to be consist a consistent goal threat. I think if with, he just the laid it team. off to even worse players, they would have more opportunities and might score sure. more, and yeah. then might I, not be bad players anymore. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, but I hate, only, I hate to keep going back to, like, FC Cincinnati, but, like, th- those types of situations were our bread and butter. You yeah. know, Brenner, Brenner or Acosta has the ball. The other one and Vasquez are running, and you just play a very easy pass past the defense, let, so, let your attacker run onto it, and they just they score. Here's a dumb question. Is Brenner Acosta Vasquez more talented than whatever fast break three you want to give the U.S. men's national team? I wouldn't think so, but they're clearly better at this. I, I don't, don't think I, I don't <laughs> think individually none of them are more talented than the people you're talking about. OK, but collectively, um, yeah, they, the their skill, skill set, their yeah. skill sets complement one another way better than the ones that we're talking about right here. And they're not, they're not that far behind. Like, oh no, Sar- I, I think- they're, they're not that far behind guys like Sergeant or even like. I mean, I say Pulisic is way better than any of those guys, and yeah, probably Wea as well. But as far as an attacking trio, I don't. They're not that far behind. Like, you know, Sergeant and. I think they're all better than right, so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> right, fair. <laughs> I was just try, right. just trying to make the translation. Yeah, Chief, point number, number three. Th- number three of my three things that are concerning to me in this moment is that there is a bad tendency that this team has shown in two of its three matches that it switches off. And when it switches mm. off, it switches off hard. Now, part of that, I think, is just the drop-off between who's starting for this team and who the substitutes are. But the Iran match today, the Wales match uh, last week, um, just when this team decides, okay, we're packing it in and we're going to play defense, they lose all ability to possess the, f- the football. They lose all ability to slow the game down. Mm-hmm. And the game in both games, the Wales game and the Iran game, up a goal, they allowed the opposition to go to warp speed. And just once that started, the American, the Nat, the men's, the U.S. team, they maybe ten percent possession, fifteen percent possession from that point forward. No, yeah. uh, it ties in a little bit to the counter thing, where it's like they don't punish any uh, any of these teams for throwing everything at the goal. They don't possess yeah. the ball once they decide that they're done 
and they're packing it in. It's just I, I don't know that that level of pressure is sustainable as the competition level ramps up. If you're just giving another team that much of the ball. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes sense. Um, I do wonder though, how much of it is just like game script, right. Of like, we're going to sit back and bunker and yeah, it looks awful, but also like our striking options. And as we talked about, like you said, the counter options aren't great. So like they don't have a way to turn bunker into offense. Like a lot of other teams do. And the other piece of it is like, it looks bad, but it's worked <laughs> like they did. They were able to bunker and were a uh, Walker Zimmerman clumsy tackle away from three clean sheets. And, uh, and, and these bunkers working out very well. So I, I mean, I, I see the point and it's absolutely concerning. And yes, if we, if we switch off against the Netherlands, uh, it's as game over, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm more I'm more willing to believe in the bunker than I think other people are. <laughs> I don't think we can I don't think we can bunker against the Netherlands and I also don't think that like Shaq Moore can see the field. Oh god. <laughs> because awful. Because you know, for all people say about, you know, guys like Dest or Pulisic, whoever losing the ball, they're not losing the ball like at the top of our box. Yeah. You know, like like Moore is not just playing bad passes and making bad touches. He is making bad touches and playing bad passes in dangerous situations where like Memphis Depay is going to make you pay for that. Why is Shaq Moore on this team? <laughs> I can see an argument for literally anybody but him. <laughs> Like, I, I'd i even have Yedlin come in as a sub before him. I don't know what happened to Richie Cannon. I, I don't know if he was hurt. Like, it's just well, Scally's weird... on the bench. What's wrong with Joe Scally? Joe Scally's very good in the Bundesliga. Probably plays against a good number of the, uh, the Dutch team that's about to show up. I mean, come on. It's just ridiculous. Um, he was awful. It was awful. It was weird seeing Zimmerman and Moore come in like, ah, here comes the MLS reinforcements. And it was not (laughs) great. (laughs) Um, Worth pointing out, first uh, World Cup lineup since MLS was founded that did not include an MLS uh, player in the starting 11. It's just wild. Jurgen Klinsmann somewhere saying, finally, I told you. I mean, I told these people (laughs) half the team got their career or touched MLS at some point. But yes, (laughs) I, uh, I almost felt like it was like a, it was like Greg's like ultimate, like, what are you going to say about me now? If this goes (laughs) bad move, right? Because, because it's like, Oh, his, the people that love him, you know, if it goes well, they're going to have to praise him for not playing any MLS players. But yeah. if it goes, if it goes poorly, his biggest critics are the ones who, you know, hate that he plays MLS players. So what is he going to do? He's like, I did what you told me to do. <laughs> See, does he go MLS heavy versus the Netherlands and we win? And now everybody's confused as to how they're supposed to react to this team. <laughs> no, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy for saying, that as an FC Cincinnati centric podcast that speaks primarily to FC Cincinnati fans, we are owed a pound of flesh from the Netherlands for what we sat through for multiple years. Right. God, that is so true. Absolutely. (laughs) 
Like, like this, like they're not just fighting for America. They're fighting for all of us that had to li- that live through Ron Jans, Gerard Nijkamp, Yap Stam, fucking Kamahilo Makocho, uh, all these fucking terrible signings. They're fighting for us specifically. Don't tell Christian. Don't tell Christian. But yeah, this one, this one will be <laughs> oh, will be shit. felt especially strongly in Cincinnati, no matter which way it goes. Like you tell Christian Pulisic, hey, you know, Cincinnati is really has a lot of riding on this result. And he's like, you know what? My dick hurts. I'm out. We're not doing this. (laughs) Tell him Cincinnati still loves the Dutch. Maybe maybe we reverse psychology this. (laughs) Right. Cincinnati, Uh, more like Bofa. (laughs) Bofa Natty. Famous Greek philosopher, both of these. (laughs) <laughs> have you guys been watching a lot of the world cup or, or are you just just tuning in for the u.s games because i i have been binging every single game i've tried to get my uh my eyeballs on and i know i guess morally that's wrong but i've enjoyed this tournament quite a bit uh i think it's been a very game yeah 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 no, it's it's been I think that it's it's interesting about how we talked about that once the game kicked off, a lot of the, you know, the moral conundrums of this would go away. And, you know, the games have been pretty entertaining for the most part. Yeah. There haven't been a lot of really bad games. Even the low scoring games have been well played, well contested. The, the, the great part about all this is that the only games that have been out and out terrible have been the ones being played by Qatar because they suck <laughs> and they shouldn't be here. And they are setting records for worst performance by a host nation in the World Cup. And to that, I only have one thing to say, and that's you, you just hate to see it. <laughs> yeah. It, it is interesting that, like, yes, a lot of the off the field stuff has still been i think fairly present uh definitely faded Ooh, to the background we, but I, we, we haven't taped in a while so we didn't talk about this fucking grant wall showing up to that game <laughs> wearing the rainbow shirt and then putting out on twitter i am being told i cannot enter this match wearing this shirt and it's like a selfie of his goofy oblong face and like his <laughs> rainbow shirt where it's like i swear i didn't wear this to make a scene i wear this all the time Oh my god. I just imagine Grant Wall like walking around Washington DC taking like a picture of the Smithsonian and like walking like up to a security guard and just like snapping a picture of the Smithsonian while recording himself with his phone on the other hand being like, Sir, am I being detained? Sir, <laughs> sir. <laughs> no one told me I couldn't wear my Kim Jong un shirt. I don't understand what this shit is about. Right. I thought it we got had him on CNN. expression. <laughs> it, it got him on CNN. So I guess he got it, what he wanted. More, more Patreon subscribers from who I can presume to be the worst people on the planet for football. Colin yeah. Grant Wall. Well, isn't his isn't his Twitter handle now subscribe to GrantWall.com? So I'm I'm yes. very happy to yeah. subscribe to GrantWall.com. Did not get arrested in Qatar. Yeah, there, there's a lot of that. There was a I mentioned this on the last podcast. Uh, the Guardian did a really good preview where with each uh group they previewed, they uh highlighted a specific like maligned group in Qatar and uh one of the the groups and advocacy groups they talked to was the uh the the LGBTQ plus community in Qatar and one of the big takeaways there was that they were hesitant about that type of activism from Grant Wall like they didn't want 
to have like a a parade of rainbows is is I think the phrase they used uh, because they knew that like while it would look good during the World Cup that it was their community that would then suffer the consequences, like feel the brunt of that authoritarian regime that didn't get a chance to crack down on the foreigners and would take it out on them when the tournament left. And they were sort of hesitant about the like, look at me, I'm wearing a rainbow shirt and being detained isn't this awful. And then that's the end of it. And then in a month from now, like, I don't know, whatever gay organization that might exist there will be raided and those people disappeared as like a consequence of that sort of activism it was an interesting interesting perspective not saying that you can't call attention to something like this but it was interesting getting the perspective of the people that will have to deal with some of the consequences they weren't yeah but like huge fans you i know i know you maybe can't you know you can't i guess you can't always tell but i'm pretty sure grant wall is not gay right and so like did anybody Anybody tell him to do this? Right. Did he talk to anybody about like? Yeah. Yes, we his, think his, this is a, his conscience told him to do this. We think this is a, he we, looked we at want his Patreon numbers. We want right. you to get Twitter engagement and go on CNN uh, for you know and you know get all this attention to yourself for for us. Or to yeah to turn around and it would have been something if like the shirt or everything he mentioned if that was it maybe he did this i wasn't paying that close attention but like donate to this organization this cause read this book you know follow this person there was none of that yeah like that to me is like doing it for the right reason quote unquote but easy the for other, me to say i didn't go over there to do it but the other the only other interesting thing i've heard about this world cup is i was actually driving uh, to the gym today and because my car is old and a pile of shit i actually listen to the real radio <laughs> still because it doesn't have a hookup for my iphone um and mo egger had on uh your good friend kevin tommy g was on I listened the, um, to this today on the real radio <laughs> look at us look at us dad podcast status oh, confirmed yeah. Two, just a couple of dudes <laughs> chopping it up about what they heard on the radio today on okay. the drive before you talk about the uh the actual interview did it sound like tommy g's voice was being broadcast into the stadium during that interview yeah i think he was on like he was on zoom or he had like there was something where there was like a feedback thing going on it was weird yeah because it It, definitely sounded like he was it sounded like his voice was on the radio someplace else in the room he was doing the interview in yeah which like i still think it's magic that they can talk to each other live from qatar so you know fuck off this is (laughs) this is this still blows my mind it's like a wizard did it i think But okay, so you listen to this too. The the overwhelming vibe from Tommy G's interview is that it's kind of boring over there. That there's yes. not a lot going on. That he was talking about how these stadiums have such high, huge security zones that there's nothing around them. And if you look at any like the like if you get on Snapchat and you go to like the you know you can search through the world and click on yeah. like where places are like. After these games, there's just giant parking lots people are going to and driving their cars away. It's almost like an Arrowhead Stadium to a certain extent. And there's no bars or there's no obviously no bars or entertainment districts around doing anything. He was talking about having to he referred to it as pre-gaming, which I thought was remarkably funny for the context. Adorable. (laughs) Like a hotel bar in 20 minutes away from where the the venues are for where this is. So it it it, and I've sort of seen this repeated a little bit on social media, if you dig, but it it doesn't sound like other than the games, it's not like a lot of people are seem like they're having a great time over there. Right. If you like shopping for, you know, overpriced 
brands, it's probably your paradise. Right. right. Like if you have a, like... a rewards card at Hermes or something like that, maybe <laughs> right. this is where you you're going to have a good time here. Which I, I assume even the wealthiest among us hit a point where they've they've spent all that they're going to spend or bought all of the handbags they're going to handbag. Like, I don't know how many hours and days of enjoyment purse shopping or watch shopping gets you. <laughs> I, know, I know this is doing show prep live, but we should probably see about having Cheyenne back on when she comes back. So I'm really be curious to get like kind of a perspective of someone that was actually over there. Maybe Tommy G would come on. Well, we've said such Ooh. nice things about him. As long as he doesn't listen to any of these previous episodes. I guarantee you he hasn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, Hi, Carrie. Tommy. We're from the postcast. And if you haven't heard us by now, please don't, don't. listen. But would, <laughs> would you like to become a guest on the show? We're not worth your time, but it would be fun for you know, 20 minutes. Talk to us. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious to hear what Cheyenne's perspective is on being in a place where nobody's drinking. <laughs> My people. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I no, nobody's yes. drinking in a desert. <laughs> this is this is Nevada. We've we've come all the way back around. <laughs> we've gone too far backwards, Utah. <laughs> oh man! So the United States plays the Netherlands on Saturday. Kickoff is ten a.m. Don't listen to Fox. They put nine a.m. on everything. Kickoffs at ten a.m. So be at your favorite soccer bar way earlier than normal, but then also very normal for you to be on a Saturday in December going to your soccer bar at ten a.m. Uh, it's kind of, kind of later time. for going to a soccer bar in December, right? Because right, gotta You're usually late. be there for the seven a.m. kickoff. <laughs> That's, I mean, the real the real nerds are there watching a league at two in the morning. All right, we're we're waiting for you guys to show up. <laughs> <laughs> Third shift clocking out. <laughs> Some of us are Harrison Delbridge. Oh, Harrison Delbridge! Wow, I flipped those Harrison Delbridge fans. Um, and yeah, that'll be a fun one. That'll be a good game. And we'll record after it and we will commiserate or celebrate one of the uh, the best World Cup performances of uh, the U.S. or a respectable showing. We'll see what happens. We don't have to get into it, but around the horn, Kevin, final score. Of Netherlands, U.S.? Yes. Or USA-Argentina World Cup final. Uh, no, Argentina, <laughs> Netherlands, U.S., uh, we've got two to one good guys. We're winning, baby. Grayson. Uh, I'm going going three nothing United States. Fuck yeah. <laughs> right. One nil or one one advancing on penalties, the United States. Matt Turner, hero of the tournament. I love it. Matt says no. <laughs> he got his hand on the bail penalty. It was just such a good penalty. It, there was no keeper was going to stop that, but he got his hand to it, and that gives yeah, that, me hope. That, that, that Gareth Bale guy's got a future in soccer, I think. You know, he's only 33. I could have swore he was like 39. It's not the years. It's the mileage. <laughs> I just, you know, you think of these guys at the end of their career, then he's he's younger than me. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, that'll do it for world cup talk i think we did it pretty good uh part two i mean we got in the 11 out of the 18 but the highlight in part two is the film room yes united passions fifa uncovered we're talking about it and in part three if we get to it i don't know we'll see how we feel about talking a little fc cincinnati at the end of this
Oh, we're back at it. This is normally part one for us, but yeah, it's World Cup time. You gotta, you gotta go with what's hot. Part two in the eleven. Out of the 18, after this, we're going to touch on the, uh, well, I mean, we're, we're diving into, not touch on, we're diving into the film room. But uh, Chief, what's in your 11 out of your 18 this week? My in the 11 is head coaches, because there's a vacancy in Clifton as Luke oh, Fickle man. left the University of Cincinnati. Just a thorough <sighs> bummer of a day with that. You know, they lose the, uh, the AAC championship game. They... Uh, lose their head coach. Now it's back to square run up in Clifton. And if you have a UC fan in your life right now, just give them a call and find out if everything's okay. I will say everything that's come out about fickle after he's left has made me so glad he's gone. I'm I, that bridge is burned. Get out of here. You bum and take your weird little Catholic family with you. Apparently that was a priority is that the, the job they needed had to have a good Catholic prep school to send their kids to. And that's why Nebraska was not chosen and Wisconsin was. So there you go. Well, uh, I tell you, I was pretty devastated when I heard fickle was leaving. Because the Ohio State job wasn't open. (laughs) So I knew it was going to be bad news. Okay, so as the resident Ohio State fan, would you have traded Day for Fickle straight up? Yeah. Oh, I'd take that trade every single time as a UC fan. He's My 45. God. Like Day is 45 and 5 at Ohio Who could State. could be better. He can't you cannot improve upon Day. You cannot. They've been There's worse. Nobody. They've been worse with Day than they were under Urban and they've gotten worse every year. They beat up on fucking Iowa or whoever the fuck <laughs> and then two years in a row they've gotten wiped. He's Can I tell a, he's, you something depressing. Yeah. Uh apparently you see People, decision makers around UC, have their eyes and hearts set on Al Golden over Deion Sanders. Oh my God, the former Temple coach? (laughs) No, that's terrible. That's You deserve to lose a lot. You deserve to lose a lot. I mean, now now is the time for Xavier to start a football program, is what I'm saying. Now this triangle to iron is hot. (laughs) I think think they can hire a better coach than Al Golden, and they don't have a program right now. See, like, I was sitting here thinking the nightmare scenario was them hiring Kerry Combs and his goofy ass being the head coach after having one of the worst defenses in Big Ten history. But no, Al Golden is actually a worse hire than Kerry Combs. They were never going to hire Kerry Combs. The Enquirer just needs to include him in the list because he's, you know, he's a beloved local weirdo. Right, no, because, because they have people in their mentions whenever they don't include. Well, what about Kerry and Gino? It's like, well, Gino punched a dude on a basketball court, and you have to read about that as a first year in law school. Um, and Kerry <laughs> Combs is a goober. So, I I worry that UC gets a bowl game against a a say quality opponent, and Kerry Combs wins that bowl game and has a strong argument to keep the job. That's that's the that's the scenario. Although my. <laughs> Like, I can't take credit for this idea. This came from my dad back in the day when we were talking about, you remember like, when, obviously everybody remembers this, when uh, Brian Kelly left UC and yes. left him like right before the Sugar Bowl. Yeah. Uh, he had the take, and I think this is incredible, that what they should have, what UC should have done in that moment was they should have made Kerry Combs the head coach. 
and they should have fired all of Brian Kelly's staff and said, you know what? None of you want to be here. You because like the offensive coordinator was going to go be the head coach at Buffalo or whatever and have Kerry Combs recruit all of the other local Cincinnati high school football coaches to be (laughs) assistant coaches. Go get like Steve Speck from St. X. Go get all these other weirdos locally. And one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to get the every living shit beat out of you by Florida, which happened anyway, anyway. (laughs) or you are going to win and you write a book and sell the script to Disney about how all the local high schools came together to beat the Florida juggernaut led by Tim Tebow and noted murderer Aaron Hernandez at a tight end. Just imagine what kind of like hateable <laughs> shithead character actor they would get to play Brian Kelly in that movie. <laughs> oh, it would have been Brian Dennehy. They would have had Brian Dennehy do it. Like he's leaving. He's very stereotypically Irish Catholic. He's going off to Notre Dame. Oh, man. It could be Don Johnson. Well, I mean, if you're looking for a shithead that will play uh, an evil, hateable person, I think Tim Roth is available. Oh, yeah. What's Depart 2 doing? (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. Oh, my God. Uh, And and out of the 18 there, Chief. Uh, My out of the 18 is Thanksgiving is a holiday. Thanksgiving is a trap. knew this was coming it's a trash holiday it is i've 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 said this before and a lot of people are sick of me saying this but thanksgiving is the worst holiday i always come up with a new reason to hate thanksgiving or to try and encourage people to realize why thanksgiving sucks my usual go-to was always that if nobody really likes thanksgiving food it's just weird mush that's not flavorful because your grandmother has to enjoy it too and grandma hates spices And if anyone really liked Thanksgiving food, it would be available at restaurants year round. The only restaurant that serves Thanksgiving food is Bob Evans. Or the Eagle. goes to Bob Evans. Literally the Eagle. One of the most popular restaurants in Over the Rhine. How many many times do you serve fried chicken at your Thanksgiving? We we have fried chicken every year, but they have, you know, mashed potatoes. They got collard greens. They got green beans. They got uh, sweet potato casserole. They got got everything. No, it's fried chicken. Fried chicken is not turkey. Turkey is trash. Turkey is mid. The only way to serve turkey is between two pieces of rye bread with lettuce, tomato, and mayo. I bet they have turkey at the Eagle. They might. I don't know. I haven't looked in a while. But my new argument for why Thanksgiving is trash, and I'm troubling America to realize this, is that in the United States, we determine how we show our appreciation for a holiday by how many songs we write and we sing about <laughs> holidays. So at the top of the list is what? It's Christmas. There's an yep. ass load of Christmas songs. Why? Because Christmas is the best holiday. Everybody loves Christmas. How it's many Halloween time. songs are there? A lot of Halloween songs, Plenty. too. Everybody likes Halloween. Fourth of July, we got patriotic tunes coming out the ass. Even Easter. There's a shitload of Easter songs. You just sort of sing them in a church voice and don't realize they're songs. How many Thanksgiving songs are there? I got Jingle Bells was originally a Thanksgiving song. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> I rest my case. We don't we don't like this holiday. We don't write if you don't write songs about it, it's not a real holiday. And Thanksgiving is a not a real holiday. It's a fake holiday. The only day that about the only thing good about Thanksgiving is that it's on a Thursday, so you usually get Friday off to make it a four-day weekend. Otherwise, mid trash, it's dumb. You actually hate Thanksgiving. Yes, I'm talking to you listening to this. You actually hate Thanksgiving if you would just admit it. I uh I worked at a place that did not give you the Friday after Thanksgiving off and uh that place was awful. I did not like that. That was that was not a good move. It's a big red flag. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's that should be punishable by prison. Absolutely. Yeah. I hate that because Grace. like I hate when they don't give you the, sorry. I just Please. I hate when they don't give you the Friday after Thanksgiving off because 
all the people who just don't go on vacations throughout the year always take that day off. But if you're somebody who actually uses your vacation, you got better things to do than like hang out with your cousins all day on a Friday. You're the only person in the office. And you get stuck like doing everything. I'd argue <laughs> that it's it's anti-American. The whole reason for the term Black Friday was that it was the first day of the year that retail establishments moved from yearly loss to yearly profit. We went into the black with our sales this day. If you hate, if you don't give people that day off to shop, you are literally being anti-capitalist and anti-American and you should be called out as such. The, uh, the owners of the place that did not give me that Friday off, Jehovah Witnesses. Not fans of uh, holidays. That, that was their that, move. Yeah. <laughs> I don't trust anyone that doesn't say happy birthday. They, it was awkward when it was your birthday around the office. <laughs> Grayson, what is in your 11 out of your 18 this week? Well, both are mine are coming from the failing New York Times this week. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> So these are all these are all both things I got from the from, from reading the times uh, in my 11 butts. Just B-U-T-T-S. There's yeah. a, apparently there's apparently there's apparently a new book uh, out called butts colon a backstory. And I just realized that the colon is the colon being in there means there's three puns, three butt puns in the title. I just realized that. That's incredible. Um, and it's kind of about the history of like the place of the butt in like culture and art and how, you know, it's kind of one thing most people throughout history have kind of agreed on. You know, we like them. <laughs> Folks, but we, we, we cannot lie. I like the um, idea of the history of the butt, and it's just looking at like ancient skeletons of like pre-Homo sapiens. <laughs> no, you know, you like old, uh, old uh, uh, sculptures, like the mm. the George Surratt painting, Le Grand Jatte. The right. like woman right at the front is wearing a bustle at the back of her dress that makes it look like she's just got all just got a big ass. The you know? cover of the cover of every No Limit album in, in the late two, early two thousands. I might have its own chapter. <laughs> now there was a there was a the article mentioned a brief backlash in the twentieth century where the eugenics so, movement so was there was anti -butt. a butt to this. Yep. <laughs> so so the eugenics movement was anti butt, and folks, well, I mean that's very if you're anti butt. <laughs> so that's, you're that's who you're hanging out with. So you're telling me that Khan really was a supervillain in Star Trek 2. <laughs> so anyway, in my 11 butts and they're here that's, to stay. That's that's awesome. That's just the, now I'm also wondering when they make the movie version of this book, is it the, is it the movie ass that they show in Idiocracy? Where it's, <laughs> it's just a giant ass farting i think yeah. is a, yeah. for two hours one won the won the award for best picture if i recall correctly uh and i do i did appreciate that the new york times article include um, if you read it on the web um it includes a still from the uh, Nicki minaj uh, anaconda video <laughs> yes and you know that could just make your case right there but <laughs> Thumbs up or thumbs down, quick. <laughs> or thumbs in. Or, you know. <laughs> um, and then, so, out of my 18, and this is unfortunate oh. news, and maybe we can bring it back in, out of the 18 are male friendships. Oh, no. Uh, the, fellas, oh, oh. The, fellas aren't, uh, the fellas aren't hanging out together. They're not, 
you know, being bros anymore, according to the failing New York Times. Um, I assume this is talking about straight men, but um, (laughs) apparently they're not they're not friends with each other anymore. But the article does offer um, four proposed strategies for making male friendships, because I guess the advice of like. Go on Twitter and yell until a middle aged man is fired. It's not equally applicable. Shit um, until friends show up. Yes. So um, this is for this is I think so we're doing a little bit of advice for our listeners here. Oh, this um, is good. Yeah. Number one, uh, practice vulnerability, including telling friends how you feel about them. Well, because That's nothing of, really no, nothing makes people want to hang out with you more than dumping your emotional problems on them on the first the first hangout. It's like, hey man, you want to get to the, go up to the bar, watch the game? I don't know. I'm just really feeling insecure at work and don't know if my boss truly respects me or not. Now, I assume this is more like the you go out, you go out to the bar, you're closing it down, and you get one more shot. You just look at the guy and you're like, "I love you, man." And he's like, "No, I love you, man." Hey, you know, I I love that even though we're 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 older, we still do this together, man. I still I'm so happy that we get out and you know what? Fuck our friends that sit at home with their kids and their wives and no no, we're cool. We're still doing this, man. I love you. Uh number two, no. don't assume number two, don't assume friendship happens organically. Uh, I guess that's true. Like if you don't if you're a guy and you don't have friends, it didn't happen organically. Right. So what's the, what's okay, the alternative fair. to organic friend making? What like artificial friends? Uh, I guess like, like joining Siri. So <laughs> it's I think number. Gosh. I think you just you know you gotta have you gotta put some effort out. You know this ah, is fair. basically you know the stuff that your uh, your ex girlfriends told you to do. Um, you know, <laughs> or your dad I always told just you want to like see you try. A job. You gotta network. You gotta get out there and put yourself out there. Yeah. Uh, three, use activities to your advantage, like. Golf or you know podcasting. <laughs> Does the article recommend golf? <laughs> no, I don't know. Okay, it's, 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 it's very much say, a solo activity. It says <laughs> it says it says sports. It says yeah. like doing sports together. Going to it's, it does say going to the games together. Right. Okay. So, so what know. about what about starting a soccer blog to try and make friends and then not actually posting any articles on the blog? That's how we get them. Yeah, and also <laughs> basically just alienating a bunch of people. <laughs> Make enemies. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with people that run the front office of FC Cincinnati. Oh, uh, that's in part three. <laughs> and four, and the last one is uh, harness the power of casual check-ins. So you text your bro, just say, hey man, what's up? What's up? Haven't talked to you in a while, man. Everything good? You good? Yeah. You up? Cool. <laughs> My version of that is usually sending a uh, an onion headline. I find and just out of the blue, you get an onion headline. <laughs> the unsolicited just thing from Twitter. It's like, yes. yeah, everything all right, man? I just said something funny. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I I like that. I. I maintain one of my favorite movies of all time is I Love You, Man. 
It is such a good movie. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It has just the dream all-star cast of every actor who's ever been in a Judd Apatow movie is in this movie. And it features an incredible scene of a guy who's really into uh, the L.A. Galaxy taking out uh, Paul Rudd to a Galaxy game. And he's just the worst version of a fan. And it's just a 10-second scene, but uh, people try to fight him. And it's really great. I'm actually kind of curious if this article um in any way because it's funny because they i don't know if you guys watched welcome to wrexham at all yeah but they do an entire episode about basically how sports is like a substitute for male interaction that like men use sports as an excuse to hang out with other men so that it's not weird like hey man you want to go get dinner no it's fucking weird i'm not gonna do that hey you want to go to the bar and watch the game get a bite oh yeah that sounds awesome let's do that right it's a it's a pretext as it right. were yeah it would be more healthy though if you could like text your buddy and be like hey man you want to go for a walk instead of being like hey man do you want to go to happy hour i mean <laughs> that that was 2020 it was like hey you want to go for a walk the bar's closed yeah right <laughs> i got a i got a yeti tumbler we could put some wine in it yeah, <laughs> I think probably the best thing that the New York Times could suggest is like number five would be just, you know, force Microsoft to release a Call of Duty every two months versus every year. Just because I never get more text messages from people than right after a Call of Duty release is like, hey, we're going to drop into the war zone tonight. You, you in? I'm like, I yeah. could not have transitioned this better. My in the 11 is fucking war zone too. Are you kidding me? I had so much fun with this dumb game. <laughs> I, 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 it's a soulless, awful corporation and I can't get enough of it. I love the new yep. war zone, the new war zone. The last map called sucked. I hated yes. it. Um, it was too sweaty. It was not fun. This game, the, the new war zone map. I love it. I, I think it's there's a lot of nooks and crannies to explore. I like that you can get into the water now and do some oh. do some swimming, little light recreational love, swim. I love the slower pace. I love the emphasis on positioning instead of lightning quick reflexes because I'm an old man these days. In fact, I had to have an awkward conversation uh, via email uh, about the young professionals group at my company. I asked to be removed from the list. I felt like I've, I'm no longer, it's not my demo, folks. Um, I don't know if they're allowed to ask me how old I am to kick me off, but I went ahead and did that for them. Um, so I appreciate a game that doesn't require me to be a 14-year-old amped up on uh, whatever the latest uh, energy drink trend is. So, no, I, I love it. And yeah, Chief, to your point, like, yes, I, I've got a bunch of uh, cousins that we were always like gamers and we're just like every night we've got like two or three guys on it's really fun yeah that um, was that was the, yeah. my number one takeaway memory of like we were just joking about the pandemic back in the day was just being on war zone every night and it's like yes was was society <laughs> in a bad place yeah was the economy terrible for a lot of people was sure. there a lot of human suffering sure but i was going through about a bottle of bourbon a week and you know serving my country or whatever country you <laughs> represent when you're in Verdansk right. and uh, whatever terrorist outfit we were a part of. And it was just fun. We get drunk and the drunker we got, the worse we played. And I couldn't agree more. This new one, the new Gulag is better. Like everything yes. about this is better. It feels like they actually shockingly listened to player feedback. And this is the most fun I've had with a war zone since that pandemic time. So bravo. Fucking awesome. I love it. Yeah. Oh, no. Could could not agree more. Uh, 
out of my 18. Man, I had something lined up and now I can't remember it. So I'm just going to go uh, off the wall here. I'm going to say Black Friday and Cyber Monday. I just unbelievably disappointing. I don't know if anybody got a good deal. I, I Props to you if you found something good. I... I, I don't, I did, there was nothing terribly interesting out there. Everything was like $5 off this $300 thing normally. And um, it feels like, a, I don't know, like a shopping season that exists for TVs. And TVs are always dirt cheap these days. So I don't, I don't see the point. I don't know if any of you guys do holiday shopping around this time, but no. it's bad, bad shopping season. I, I also wonder if the person who invented the term Cyber Monday, were they just not on? AOL in like the <laughs> mid to late nineties. Cyber Monday has a very different connotation <laughs> around these parts. Yes. <laughs> very specific age demographic where it's like, Oh, that was a weird, that was a weird time to grow up. ASL Mondays. Am I right? <laughs> yep. American sign language Mondays. <laughs> Is that what it was? Okay. I, I yeah, might have been in different chat rooms. Yeah. I, I, kept, I kept asking her and she just kept making hand gestures to me. I don't understand. Oh my gosh. Well, no, I, I mean. It's, it's. It's yeah, capitalism, I though. I love capitalism, so I can't ever hate on Black Friday. <laughs> you can't, you can't hate on it. I mean, look, if we're gonna live in this capitalist hellscape, uh, give me a cheaper, uh, cheaper price. I, right? I, I do, I do <laughs> love that the person that did an MLS minute on KLR to the uh, Russian national anthem doesn't like a celebration of mass consumerism. Look, I'm just saying it could have been better. All right. <laughs> Up your game. Um, no, I am excited for this. It's the film room. Gentlemen, we've we've talked about this for a long time, and yes, the FIFA Uncovered was a part of this, and uh, yes, great documentary, but I want to talk to you two about United Passions specifically. Happy to dabble where, where appropriate in the, uh, the Netflix bits here, but uh, United Passions, one of my top five movies I've seen this year, just incredible from start to finish i love it because it's like watching um what i imagine soviet era propaganda would have been like <laughs> in the soviet union just like or, the or, real story is being told within the story that you're being presented it's lovely all right before before we go any further has any have either of you seen the movie the green berets yes no okay so john john wayne when, John Wayne and David okay. Jansen. It was a movie that was made in during the Vietnam War about the Ooh. Vietnam War, but famously it had buy-in from the U.S. military and the U.S. Army to give them on-location shooting, real military mm. equipment. But the the script was written by the Army and the, the Pentagon, and right. so the the story is of a war journalist that goes to visit Vietnam and learns that what we're really fighting for is worth it. And the honor and the sacrifice of these American soldiers to save these Vietnamese people is so being misrepresented to the American public and that he is going to, he's going to tell the truth about what happened at Vietnam. And until I saw hmm. this movie, I thought that was the most blatant bit of propaganda I have ever seen in my life. And that... The Green Berets looks like a work, uh, a Pulitzer Prize winning or an Academy Award winning work. 
compared to what the fuck I just watched yesterday. So I could tell we were in for a treat when the uh, the opening um, uh, uh, credits, I guess, where they say like, you know, this is this is in the movie. This is. The movie was produced by Azerbaijan. Yes! <laughs> I, was, I had that in my notes as well. Just incredible. Just incredible. Azerbaijan, who, uh, as far as I know, has not actually gotten anything out of this. Just currying favor. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. Uh, I mean, it was UEFA, but they got to host a Champions League final. Yes? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. they did. Yeah. It was in Baku. Well, well done. Yep. Yeah, yeah, where uh, Mikatarian couldn't play because he's Armenian, and they had like a shoot on site order for him or something. It, very weird. Um, and <laughs> and maybe maybe would have stood to gain a little bit more if this movie hadn't been released in 2015, and if there hadn't been a very very you know otherwise non noteworthy action taken by the U.S. Attorney General against many of the people involved in this film. <laughs> yeah, depicted in this film even. <laughs> um. All right. So like, yes. just. Everything about this movie is incredible. And the, what I want to start with is that at the very beginning of this movie, it sets out very, very early on who the heroes and who the villains are. And immediately going to the worst portrayal of people with an English accent <laughs> since probably the original Star Wars. Oh, my God. It was this is so perfect. So, OK, so. First off, if you have not seen the movie, one, watch the movie. Just, just stop. Pause, the, po pause yes. the podcast. Go watch this movie. And we'll wait. We'll be here when you get back. Yes. Like, it. It's on Tubi. It's called United Passions. It's the story of FIFA as told by just the worst elements of FIFA. Uh, so good. Okay, so I was I was talking to Grayson about this before we were recording. I've read so many books and histories of like the sport and FIFA and whatnot. And this is the subtext of the movie that is like, it's there, but I feel like if you didn't know these, these people, the characters, some of the stories, you might've missed a lot of this. So the main character of FIFA is Havelange, who is in this. He's, I, I forget the actor's Samuel. name. My own, Samuel. Okay, he's seventh, uh, seventh heavens dad is how I always imagine him. He was no. uh, Dr. Alan no. Grant in Jurassic Park. No, Do that's a, wrong. That is a slant. That is a slanderous comparison because the seventh heaven dad is in prison for some really bad stuff. <laughs> oh no. Sam Neill is, is Dr. Alan Grant in Jurassic Park. Okay. Okay. That's okay. I'm, damn. All right. I, my apologies. He's, also, he's, he's, he's awful in this, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yes. He's, 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 he's terrible. Just cashing a check is all he's doing in this one. This is. I don't know if his accent was supposed to be Portuguese or it was just well, he's, supposed to be not American. Yeah, I don't know. He's well, he plays a Brazilian guy, but like, yes, you couldn't. You could. You could not. You know. Yes. You could have fooled me, I guess. Right. Well, he did so, such a convincing Russian accent in Hunt for Red October, so. <laughs> yes. So Havelange is like the main character of all of FIFA in its history and is basically the guy who sets up Sepp Blatter. Blatter is Havelange's protege, and it's depicted in this movie, but is like his right-hand man. And basically these guys scammed the entire world out of 
billions and billions of dollars by essentially paying off uh, Caribbean and African associations to keep them in power to keep this going. So, of course, the framing then, as it was now, is and, that the English are racist and hate the Africans, and that's why we're in charge. And this yes. is why also the, the, the FIFA documentary is good, because the FIFA documentary, they're good to watch together. Because the yeah. FIFA documentary explains about how the way FIFA's executive committee and how its voting works for president, that there are just so many votes of yes. these small Caribbean nations and these African nations that you can buy all these people off, which Avalanche and Bladder did multiple times in order to make sure that you have a voting base to draw from. And the characters that you'll hear about when you watch the FIFA documentary include, you know, people like Jack Warner and, and Chuck Blazer. And these are the people that are supplying Bladder his votes yes. out of CONCACAF in these Caribbean nations. But to your point, Kevin, it immediately sets everything up that the continental Europeans are these bastions of understanding <laughs> and progressivism. Like very early on in the movie, uh, who's the who's the, the 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 fat fuck? Gerard Depardieu, the, Gerard uh, Depardieu. Remet or Remet or whatever his name uh, is. Yeah, he's uh, uh Jules Remet. Yeah. Remet. Who, who who croaks in this movie and is placed into a comically small casket when they lower that down. Like there's absolutely no way Which that... came with a label. I don't right. know if that's a French thing, but the label cracked. Well, every me up. every casket has a label in it, because we're gonna get to the other one that they gloss over that's <laughs> fascinating too but that from the very first meeting the english are racist and they yes. don't want anything happening there's a later meeting with ramay where the english comedic villain uh talks about how people in africa will never understand football yes. and he dresses down <laughs> ramay's daughter saying that like you know oh you're just a woman you need to get back to womanly things you don't understand any of this women will never play football either and then ramay comes in and he's like i think this man is a is a dangerous and disgusting human who doesn't understand what's going on and right. every time there is an opportunity for the continental europeans <laughs> to take the moral high ground in some situation <laughs> they absolutely do and it's hysterical so the guy who plays the race English guy that's on the boat in that scene is on uh, is on Andor. He's the the money launderer guy. Oh <laughs> shit! That's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the um, evil guy that wants to marry off his his son. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I thought it was interesting because the guy saying that you know black people in, in 1930 say black people will never play. Uh, football, but actually, I, I looked this up. I was curious. The first black player to play international football was Andrew Watson in 1881 for Scotland. Yes. So, like, I mean, I'm not yes. saying I'm not saying there wasn't like racism in early FIFA, but it would not. Yeah. It's just it was such a strange conversation to throw into this movie because he just he just like. I mean, it's, it's, it comes out of it comes out it comes out of nowhere. Right, but but they do this all the time. Like yeah. throughout this movie, it's yes. they, it's that scene with Depardieu and this this bigoted, awful Englishman talking down to Depardieu's daughter in the movie. Then, like they come back to it later in the scene where Depardieu is sitting around the table with the German representative to FIFA and the Italian yes. representative to yes. FIFA, and he's there criticizing them both for fascism and criticizing what their uh -huh. government's doing. And like, yeah. this is awful and you're ruining everything. <laughs> and then later on in the movie, there's a scene when, when Seth Blatter enters the scene 
where he's in Africa providing football academies to all these people. And his man's <laughs> like, you have to slow down, Mr. Bladder. You're doing too much. You're running yourself ragged. It's like, it's not enough. We must start women's camps too. Or it's like, he's already yeah. the guy who said the women's game would do better if they dressed a little more scantily yes. is portrayed in this movie as a person who is way ahead of the, per the curve in suggesting that women need to play soccer. Yeah. So what and was crazy about the scene with the, with the Nazis where they're at the table and they're all arguing about like Europe. I think this is, it's after the Jesse Owens uh, Olympics. Cause they make, he, he dresses down or somebody dresses down the German guy because Hitler wouldn't shake Jesse Owens, hand. And the Italian guy is like real, like pissed off and angry in this scene. And um, it just the 1934 World Cup was in Italy. Mussolini had been in power for 12 years. And according to my um, online research, the rumors were that Italy bribed its way to get it, uh, agreed to cover any financial losses, and that referees essentially rigged it to help Italy beat Spain and to help Czechoslovakia beat Germany so that Italy would have a weaker opponent in the final. And, <laughs> and in that same scene at the boardroom, the uh, Depardieu's Remey, he also accuses Germany of sports washing by hosting the Olympics. Like he, the, the head of FIFA yes. accuses Germany of using the Olympics <laughs> to cover up the atrocities of their regime. Also like two scenes later, this Italian guy comes back and he's Remy's best buddy. Yeah. This, yep. uh, there's like, a, there's, cause they, they, the movie makes like really quick time jumps, especially early it's on. Jarring. And so yes. it's like, it's like suddenly like 1950 and this Italian guy who had been specifically the foil to show like how FIFA, you know, although they were at the table, they, they did not countenance and they stood up to the Nazis is literally his best friend. <laughs> like they're, they're yucking it up. Oh my God. It's so good. Uh, to the, uh, to the continental racism point, just, just to point this out, uh, France around this time in the 1920s and thirties, and then even later, uh, actually allowed some of their colonial holdings in Africa to compete in, uh, African Cup competitions and things like that. But they also had teams in Africa that they sponsored. And when the African teams got too good, uh, the French FA issued a, a, a rule change that the African-based teams weren't allowed to play with shoes. So if you were wondering how, you know, progressive the continental uh, European FAs were during the age where they were literally colonizing Africa, uh, that was that was where they they were and speaking, um, of, and speaking of yeah. shoes this movie it's interesting <laughs> that they include horse dossler as a character yeah 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 and yeah. it's very important to uh set bladders rise yes <laughs> but the only real involvement he has is he convinces set bladder to make adidas the official ball of the world cup and yeah. it completely leaves out the part that the documentary talks about and that like every book you will ever read about corruption at fifa talks about about how Horst Dossler sets up a shell company and buys all of the, and is sold at basically rock bottom prices, all of the television rights for FIFA, yes. and is spends the entirety of the 1970s and early 80s bribing Zhao Havelange in order to keep the TV rights money going. Like in the documentary they pointed, like I knew this already from, again, I've read too many books on this subject. Yeah. 
they were so careless with the bribery that Adidas, uh, the holding Dossler's holding company, sent Havelange a million dollar check to FIFA by mistake. Like they sent the bribe money to the wrong address. It's it was, so good. Yeah, that was, it was uh, such a ISL weird scene. Was the name of that shell company, and it was uh, it was around for like thirty years. And yeah, that's ultimately what uh, what Blatter and Dossler did was they just like ran crooked money into and out of this company. It was so weird. Such a weird scene when he's meeting with Dossler to give you know, get the Adidas equipment rights because. It's like they're doing a drug deal. Yeah, it's like I'm it's in a back of a it's car. It's in a parking lot. <laughs> he pulls up. He opens the truck. He's like, he's like, "What do you need? I got, I got, I got cleats. I got shit. I got shin guards. I got soccer balls." Yeah. And like, and ten seconds before that, he tells Sepp Blatter that they're they're low on liquid cash in Adidas, but they've got a lot of product, and then promises that the deal will make both of them rich. It's like, with what? Fucking, right. fucking warm up pants, tracksuits. <laughs> what are you gonna do? You gonna sell this to New Jersey oh. and make the mob like outfit the mob with all these tracksuits? Like, what the fuck are you planning on doing? <laughs> and then, like, in a really weird moment, so Horst Dossler is this character that like he occasionally shows up, and unless you really paid attention to who he was, they don't really identify him again. And then no. you don't see him for a bunch of time jumps until his coffin shows up. And he's just dead. And it's another coffin with a label on it where it just says horse Dossler. It's like, oh, I guess he fucking croaked. <laughs> they they it hand is. wave. They hand wave so much in that movie. Yes. Like, like for obvious for obvious reasons. But yeah, it's like oh, they, you just kind yeah. of don't hear from this guy again for a while. Ladder's yeah. the champion of reforms. And like, and the, like the, the moral uh, conscience of FIFA. Like when Havelange yeah. is gonna have the the World Cup in, in Venezuela. And yeah. It's at this at right after a brutal dictator is taken over in the country. And Sepp is the person saying, you understand that this is there is human rights violations happening here. And Havelange gets to give this speech about how we have to sport gives these people hope and we will give them hope and we will give them this great World Cup with like just the most basic of reference to how awful this regime was. And um, on that note, when they talk about that in the FIFA Uncovered, was I the only one that thought that dictator looked a little like Jonah? <laughs> like, Questions need to be asked. I really, I really want to know where his family was about you know that like forty years ago. Um. So, I thought it was so weird the way they introduced Havelange in the movie because yes. it's like so. So Gerard Depardieu is at the nineteen fifty World Cup. Which I, we need to talk about real fast, real fast. I love the framing of this movie is about executives. So the story of the 1950 World Cup is not the incredible upset of Uruguay over Brazil in the final. The real takeaway is that uh, Rene missed it because he was walking down to do the yeah. trophy presentation <laughs> and he missed the game winning goal. And that's like the tragedy. He's like walking around dazed on the field because he missed the, the goal. It's just so funny. All right. Like, I really, so I don't think the tunnel. I don't think they had the budget to film any soccer scenes in this movie because no. early soccer games, they just use they just cut to like a couple of crowd footage. reactions. Yeah, and then right, later yeah, yeah. games, they use they just use footage from except the events, the, except for the one scene where there is just this insanely long radio scene of the Brazilian radio announcer. Yes. Talking about Brazil losing. 
and like going off on this like rant about our country's spirit is dead. This is the worst day in the history of our country. And it's like, I would get using the radio announcer for a bit, but this scene goes on uncomfortably long of this person. And, yes, and the buildup. So like there are two famous radio calls for this game. And the first one is uh, basically like, we're about to kick off where Brazil will become world champion. But then they like reuse that line like seven, eight times throughout the movie and like throughout the game, which was weird. And then yes, at the end they call it like a national tragedy and a, like a call for a day of mourning or whatever. Like those are interesting, but yes, like the radio call scene is like 10 minutes. It's way hey, so, too much. <laughs> so at, so at the 19, at the 1950 world cup, that's when the Havalange characters introduced he's not played by sam neill yet because sam neill comes in in like the mid 70s that's right but but it's just like this really weird exchange between gerard de perdue and his daughter where he like looks down at the crowd and it's basically like he's like who's that man and she obviously knowing what guy in this entire crowd um uh he's talking about says oh yeah that's uh of course, she knows that's Joao Havelange. Uh, he's going to be president of FIFA in the next scene. Is basically like what what happens. <laughs> in he's he's a businessman of some kind. Yeah, there were uh, allegedly over two hundred thousand people at the American uh, during that game. So yes, I'm very glad that they could pick out the one guy in the brown suit. That His they daughter specifically, who existed just solely to tell him what an incredible man he was at all times. And like whenever he yep. was having a yes. crisis of conscience, his daughter would tell her, him or tell him, no, you don't understand. No one can stop you when you put your mind to things. Which I got to say, the 1930 World Cup was fascinating for a couple of reasons. One, I thought they actually depicted it pretty well, all, all told. Like that is essentially how uh, Uruguay came to be selected. They basically said that they would pay for all this shit and that becomes the model of hosting the World Cup from then on. But yes, there was a steamship that left from Europe that had three of the teams and picked up Brazil on the way and they had to train on the deck of the steamship. That happened and they depicted it and that was actually kind of cool. Um, but I, uh, I loved the part where he talks about how like, Oh, I can't believe we're going to put on this extravagant World Cup and and the the economic worries in America are about to spread around the world. And she's like, no, the World Cup needs to go on as extravagant as possible because it gives people hope. <laughs> like, like you're just talking about today. Like this is messaging for today. This is so um, fun. <laughs> so so there's a there's a guy early in the movie who I didn't because the accents in this movie are so insane. I had no idea what nationality this guy was supposed to be. Um, it was, he's played. So he get, but he like bankrupts FIFA, the mustache guy. Yeah. So, so he, I think he's, he's a guy, German, I think he, he's Dutch. Oh, he's Dutch, but he gets, I, I literally looked this guy up on Wikipedia. He was like, <laughs> he was like the finances guy. And he like invested too much of the money in the stock market. The stock market crashed. He hands the briefcase to uh, Depardieu to Remy and says, "All the money is accounted for. There has been no misdealings." So I'm like, "Ah, oh, yeah. we're starting that, that. We're starting that storyline early." Nice. Yeah, yeah. So, so he is played by Fisher Stevens, who, aside from dating Michelle Pfeiffer in the late '80s, uh, was in the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> Wait, we did it. He played. He played. Uh, he played one of Koopa's like two uh, cousins or goon, like his cousin goons. 
Wow. <laughs> Incredible. It's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon going on right here. I like this. So does this Next mean we film have film to- room has to include somebody from this movie now? Oh, so the old movie. Wait, yeah. I, 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 I do want to call out. I do want to call out that they they mention the uh, death match, but like they mention it in like the weirdest it makes no possible fucking thing. sense. It makes right, absolutely like, no sense. First off, they name it the death match right there as they're first yep. hearing about it. So they give it its name right there in that room, and the way they describe what happens, it's really hard to follow exactly like what the fuck happened to this game. Like you leave it not really knowing who won or lost the death match. Who right. was killed? Like it was just, but it was it was played for such horrendous effect. Like the, the scene is very moody, and is that where like the next scene is of him praying in front of like the the very like weird? There's rain and thunder in the background. It's Gerard Depardieu praying in front of the cross for forgiveness yeah. as to what has happened. <laughs> yeah. So, so the the death match had nothing to do with FIFA at all. Right. It right. has no no place in this movie. Um, for people who don't know, there was some uh, Germany occupied Ukraine or World War II, and there was a game between some Germans and Ukrainians, and the Ukrainians won, and they were many of them were were executed uh, later. Um, in the movie, it says that the Ukrainians were quote unquote starving factory workers. Like this is like the longest yard or something. Right. It was they were teams. Like it was Dynamo yeah. Kiev. Yeah. It was Dynamo Kiev players who had been like they were being forced to work in the factory, but they were professional soccer players. Right? Like they were people who could play. They weren't it was just it was just such it was weird that they yeah. like kind of sounds like you're apologizing for the Germans here. No. <laughs> No, but I thought it was weird that they like. I, just, I thought it was weird that they like. That was very that weird. They lied about it. Yes. And why yes. they why they included in this movie? <laughs> I have no idea, except to show that like, if you don't let us put on World Cups, this is how soccer matches are going to be staged. Like I don't know what. Right. Or that when FIFA isn't there to regulate, then this sort of thing happens. Like, well, if we yeah. if only a FIFA official would have been there to stop the Nazis from doing right. this, this never would have happened. If only if only FIFA could be everywhere. Well, Which, if you why didn't you just ask your uh, your buddy about it who you were talking to in the previous scene? <laughs> Right, right. The Nazis and the uh, the fascists in Italy. Um, it does parallel nicely where uh, uh, at least Sepp Blatter solves the, uh, I guess, international crisis between Japan and South Korea because the uh, Japanese uh, president wasn't going to go to so South like, Korea. So we the, the film really starts time jumping a shitload right about the yes. same time Sepp Blatter gets introduced. And I, I really do think we need to focus a little bit on the Sepp Blatter story about this. To where, um, so like the, the FIFA documentary and anything you read about Sepp Blatter's rise to power is that he cozied up to Havelange and was basically like his toady and was yeah. like his fixer and his guy. And the two of them got filthy rich doing this together because Havelange trusted Blatter where he didn't trust a lot of other people, made him secretary general. Um, in the movie, Havelange's relationship with Bladder is completely different. It's portrayed yes. much more as a, I'm giving you a chance, kid, but if you do me wrong, I'm going to end you. It's not like this. Like there's <laughs> this awkward like, scene. Of, yes. 
and like so like there's this awkward scene and this movie loves the weird motion for no reason so like when bladder is introduced to the fifa executive committee they sit him down and they have sam neil walk around the boardroom towards bladder like he's going to say something and then he just turns around and walks away like yep. and then the scene where he promotes bladder to secretary general he tells him basically like i'm making you this promotion i'm giving you this promotion uh you fuck up i'm gonna break you just as fast as i made you kid and then bladder turns around to say something and then walks out of the room and now there's a reason for this i think because i went and i did some reading about this movie afterwards which some fun facts about united passions it holds the record for lowest gross of any movie ever released in the united states (laughs) it made 918 dollars um it was released in 15 cities when it was released in phoenix on its opening weekend it made nine dollars one person bought a ticket to see this movie over an entire weekend of showings um but in with interviews with tim roth he said that the when he went back in to do, they call it ADR, where you re-record your lines as an actor so that yeah. you can have a clear audio of all the dialogue. So most of the time when you watch a movie, you aren't hearing what they actually said when they were on set. You're hearing what they said when they went back and they re-recorded everything. That a lot of his dialogue that he did was changed in ADR because Set Blatter personally didn't like how certain scenes were portrayed. So like yeah. Sep was making changes to this movie right up until the last fucking minute. And um, so good. The scenes with him and Havilange are hilarious, especially in the context of bladder backstabs Havilange and forces yes. him to retire so that he yes. can take he can take power because Havilange didn't want to go. He didn't want the gravy train to stop. Nope. The uh, no, that that was incredible. I loved the awkwardness of that scene where he says, I'll make you uh, I, I made you I can break you. I feel like that was like the text you write on the script to go back later and have like a more interesting conversation where that's the subtext. But they they have the conversation once explicitly. Then they have it again explicitly, like immediately afterwards, which was just great. But one thing that yes uh i thought it was very interesting that bladder is like throwing dirt back onto havalanche and he's like i don't know showing that he's the worst guy and bladder is now like actually the hero of this story and saved the world from havalanche but what i really liked about it is uh of all of the themes of this movie where uh Rouse or Stanley Rouse uh loses to Avalanche uh initially. If you really wanted to tell that story about how the English were racist, they didn't actually tell that story, which is Rouse continued to back the white apartheid FA from South Africa. And that's what ended up getting him to lose the African bloc. In fact, that like 1966 election, I think it was, uh, the entire African bloc was uh, going to leave FIFA if they didn't stop recognizing the uh, the all-white South African team. And that's what sank his candidacy. And like, that's just not in the movie. Well, <laughs> I'll tell like you why it's not that. in the movie. Because... And I learned this from the FIFA Uncovered documentary. Oh, please. So, Havilange was the one who was like, we're going to stand up to South Africa. And it was one of the moves he made to get the Africa bloc to support his presidency. In United Passions, Havilange is the one that's like, 
you know, well, we keep politics out of football and we just, you know, we run around. Right. Set Blatter is the one who I stands see. up to apartheid. Right, right, right. <laughs> so you have to you have to remove the Rouse stuff right. so that Blatter can be the guy who's like standing alone on this issue. And then right. the, there's other <laughs> subtle scenes about this, too, that like totally rewrite Havelange's because like Havelange was a son of a bitch, but like he was kind of a political genius with how he assumed power by figuring a lot of this shit out. But like there's the scene where Havelange no shows a meeting in Africa, but Sepp Blatter shows up and Sepp Blatter is the one that speaks to the African nations because he's the one that truly cares Avalanche right. is just using them for their votes, but Sep is the one that shows up. Or the scene I was talking about earlier, where Sep is down in Africa um, building the the academy programs with the Coca-Cola deal that he struck just by walking up to a table and deciding to have a cold conversation with the CEO of Coke at well, a soccer game. We never see the conversation, which is so annoying. It's just classic this movie. He walks up, sets his glass down, and boom, I guess that we're 10 years later and the deal has gone amazing. It's just <laughs> But um, and the bladder is the one where it's like, no, we need to get more trainers down here to train these African children. Otherwise, these academies are worthless and we need to open them up to women. But like that's the entire theme of this movie is that everything good that FIFA is doing is because Sepp Blatter is keeping them together as their moral compass. <laughs> and what's funny about it too, is that they don't ever want to go all the way mm-hmm. with throwing like dirt on Avalanche. They don't talk right. about him taking yeah. bribes. Like, yeah, that's true. There's a strong implication in the one scene after uh, he's retired where he's going to help bladder get votes where he's like i just want to retire in peace of this idea please don't expose what i've done but they never really right they gloss over all of that there's like the one scene in the 80s where bladder comes across like evidence of embezzlement or something there's, I forget yeah. I forget what it was. This is a part of the movie I stopped taking notes because it's, I, the, uh, I, the, I, it's the mostly reporter. checked out. It's the reporter that knocks oh, yeah, on his yeah. car window. Yeah. Yeah. So so this is like I think this is this scene is like eighty one or something. Yeah. And he gets like pretty clear evidence of of embezzlement, and they just don't tell you that, or they don't acknowledge expressly that what the movie is saying is that. At the very, very latest, Bladder knew everything that was going on in FIFA by 1981, and he let it keep going until like 1997 when he became <laughs> president. But they never tell you, like he, like, like uh, Chief said, they kind of imply that like yeah. Avalanche is like kind of out on his ass, but they don't say anything specifically that he did wrong. And don't you get the you get the impression, too, or they create the impression, I think, that Bladder is completely above board, completely yes. honest, but also loyal to his friends. And that, like, I these people are doing wrong, but it is not my job to turn them in. They're part of my family, but I'm going to clean it up. So it's like almost like they're trying to make it so that his his silence is loyalty to people that have you know worked in fifa which right. like is a weird way to fucking spin it 
And also exactly how Sepp would spin it. So that, right. that tracks very much. He, he's very obsessed with the idea of FIFA as not an institution, but FIFA as a family. Like that's a, a constant running theme in, in all the, of his speeches. And, in the documentary yeah. too. The documentary yes. they talk, like it's always about the FIFA family. The, yes. the We'll keep it in our family. Like it's... Because... It's, it's, yeah. Good. I just Sepp's just such a weird dude and like and, everybody's and, sort of weirded out by his background and, stuff. and I also yes. I don't I also don't want to gloss over this either that um which this background they fucking gloss the fuck over that like you just see him in a bar saying I've been offered a job in FIFA and there's no and maybe he was a watch salesman he was directors they, they imply he's like literally like tinkering like with watches in a yeah. shop he was yes. like director of sport for Longines, which is a yes like like top of the line like luxury watch company is that before or after wasn't he the commissioner of the swiss hockey league and things like that he he actually had like a sports administration background that like just never gets talked about <laughs> and I, I i don't want to forget about this either because it's it's honestly my favorite scene in the entirety of the movie. And there's so many great scenes that are just like, oh my God, how did the, how did the director not just walk off? Or the actors like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, did none of them Google who they were playing when they, when they got this movie? When Blatter is elected as president, his first executive board meeting, where he sits and he chastises everyone and says, we're playing under my rules. There will be no more corruption. There will be no more, no more illegal things that our sport is clean. It just happens to have more money in it than everybody else. And, and the people saying, are you accusing us of anything? I'm not accusing anyone of anything, which is the only honest portrayal of set bladder in this entire movie is the whole, like, are you doing this? I'm not saying anything like, but mm-hmm. you just said this, like, <laughs> oh, that's, you're telling me I said that like fucking obsequious little troll. And like <laughs> this meeting where it's like this force has come in to finally clean up FIFA. And finally we have someone that is a strong, moral, upstanding figure that is above reproach here. Um, I think so. A couple of quick hits that I don't want to lose track of. I would say probably two thirds of Sam Neill's screen time. He's in like this Rio beach house. <laughs> yeah, that's probably like Sam Neill's just house, right? And well, that was how they got Sam Neill to do the movie that they were like, you yeah. can live in the place we're filming and it's in Rio yeah. de Janeiro. Right. Yeah, I was like, this, for a month. this either yeah. was his or it like became his because of this movie. <laughs> um, what was going on with the kids playing soccer? In the mm. in the park, it was a, because, it was a weird framing device. Okay, I thought there yes. was going to be a payoff. I mean, okay. I guess I guess it was All a payoff. Right, so I thought it was here's, different. Here's no, here's yes. the, here's the payoff that I thought they were going to go with, and I was Please. I was so ready for this, and I'm almost mad it didn't happen. That, <laughs> but because it would have just been such a perfect bookend to this movie. So if you watch the FIFA Uncovered documentary, there are scenes of Set Blatter cutting the ribbon at the Set Blatter School for yes. soccer and sports somewhere in who gives a shit third world. Um, I thought that how this was going to end would be that this ends up being the set bladder school and the movie ends with him opening his own school to really give back to everyone and just fully make it a nauseating, just fellatio of all things set bladder. And so I'm mad they what, didn't do it. 
So what I think what 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 they were going for is that if you watch if you were to just splice only the kids playing soccer scenes, it's all of the kids essentially dunking on the one girl mm-hmm. by just constantly scoring on her. And then the movie ends with her triumph of just beating everybody with the ball and scoring, which is actually sort of the perfect analogy for Sepp Blatter, which is he just took a giant shit on the maligned communities within soccer until it was convenient enough to use them at the tail end of his of his uh, presidency to kind of make a sort of like kind of good but ultimately undone by its history point of like see women's soccer is popular see africa can host a world cup but it's like Okay, but the path you took to get here was just shitting on them the whole time, and so, it, it worked out really well. <laughs> so I get, I get that I get you show the kids playing like presumably you know poor kids somewhere around yeah. the world. This is soccer, like its purest form, right? These are right. kids just playing together, no coaches, no refs, just loving the game and enjoying each other's company. And then you have the stuff with the girl. <laughs> Where she she goes in and says, or she doesn't say anything, but you know she gets scored on, and then she gets redeemed and she triumphs yeah. and, and beats everybody with the ball. So it shows how soccer is like uplifting women. None of that has anything to do, like really, with anything in the movie. But what I couldn't get past is there's a scene where at some point there's like a little bit of a scuffle. Yes, and this this adult man who's watching these kids gets up. <laughs> And the camera like lingers on him, you know, yeah. like it follows him as he like walks down the field and we don't really get to see like what he was going to do. I thought for sure but he I was going to be Pele. I thought he was, I thought, I, I thought that was going to be Pele. I was like, I I was like oh, this, this is going to be paid off where like this is, this guy is, you know, some, some icon of the game who's, the, you know, the, passing it on to the younger generation. Or the weird yeah. woman that's watching doing her laundry up on the top w- window where they keep focusing back on her. Like, I kept yes. waiting for that to pay something off. Like, that was Ramey's <sighs> daughter or something like that that's there watching. Was a, there's a construction worker eating what looks like the best-looking sandwich the whole time <laughs> as well. I kept focusing on that. I was like, God damn, that sandwich looks great. <laughs> Oh my god! Just such an incredible movie. What do you think? Um, the, what do you think the car budget was in this movie? Because like there was a, a ton of scenes that like one of the ways they showed the passage of time was that the cars people driving kept like advancing through the eras, and they probably used a uh, fifty, sixty cars over the course of this movie. Yeah, like it, fucking classic and vintage shit. The uh, the sets were weirdly elaborate, but I couldn't tell how much of it was CGI exactly. I was watching on my phone, so I. It was hard to make really strong judgments, but it really felt like they spent a lot of money on this movie, and it is so it, bad. And it's a budget so, of thirty-six million dollars. Oh Jesus, that's that's way too much on this movie. But <laughs> so I could tell you, I have a theory about exactly where ninety percent of the money went. It went Except to Blatter. Tim Roth's salary, uh, Sam Neill's salary, Gerard de Perdue's salary, Sam Neill's beach house. And the rights to substitute by the Who, which is like <laughs> oh, the only scene during the English World Cup, when the show, which was such a weird song to so choose. So weird. There was no well. There wasn't a substitute. Well, yeah. nobody was like being a substitute for it. Was just maybe just be as the only Who song 
they could they could get maybe it's the only one in the public domain for some reason the uh like the scene serves no purpose because they didn't touch on every single world cup so i guess they were just like throwing a bone to the english like who had been the villains they've been the villains in this movie like why do you show them triumph wouldn't you yeah wouldn't you depict it as like uh ah you know we were we were down when the english were doing good but then we came back which is like whatever it's like they have they start they start the movie up with this frame device of the english invented soccer or football and they won't let anyone else into it and they won't join fifa but then they never show when they join fifa they never show the english come hat in hand it does show you know i guess that that scene does kind of imply they took it over right where like england england didn't want the world cup they didn't want to be part of fifa but then eventually they ended up hosting the world cup and everybody in the country was obsessed with it see the problem with this entire movie is that they made a movie about a bureaucracy, not yes. about like, like, and it, this is, this would be like EPA the movie, but they don't actually show them actually like saving the environment. It's just people at the EPA talking about jobs. talking about water management and <laughs> land use and pollution and air quality numbers, and occasionally you send someone on site to take a reading. But like, if all of the action happened back in Washington at the the, the government office and it's just it's just you can't make that exciting and you're if you could make it exciting if you're being truthful maybe but like it's See, just it's bureaucracy that's that's honestly where this should have gone like i think if you combine these two you actually have something you need like whatever it is the boardwalk empire of fifa right like i need to see the the uh, the sopranos of fifa i want to see like season by season we take a decade of fifa and we have all these weird characters and weird politics and bribery and scandal and and the authorities chasing them down that's way more fascinating and and you could do multiple seasons of this and cover 10 seasons could cover a hundred years of fifa be awesome the english by the way join and leave fifa twice that's like that's fun that would that could have been in the movie um, there's just all sorts of fun um, things that it could be done truthfully I the think. thing with the the thing with the documentary is and i don't when i i just have like two things to say about the documentary yeah. One is it's too long. It didn't need to be four episodes. And two, my only main takeaway is that the the Justice Department did all of this investigation and it was essentially to make them give us the World Cup. Because (laughs) because the they settled it they settled it out with Infantino. They dropped all the charges. Um, I guess they arrested uh what what's that guy's the the Trinidadian Jack and Tobagonia. They they, they, they arrested tried to. They, they can't they, get no, him. they arrested his kids. Oh, they got, that's right. That's they got right. like Matt Bevilacqua and Jackie April Jr., you know, <laughs> over there. And uh um but they didn't get like anybody who mattered. They right. gave a deal to Chuck Blazer, who died and doesn't sound like yeah yeah but ultimately all they did was like make fifa give the u.s the world cup because fifa ended up getting like 200 million dollars in restitution out of the whole deal because they were treated as the victim of the crime and not as like the criminal enterprise so i 
my entirely stay woke conspiracy theory after watching the documentary is that they let Bladder go to give us the World Cup. Yeah. That Bladder was like somebody, he was in a room with some shadowy people that were like, you can do this too, or you can do the right thing and make this whole situation better with the <laughs> Qatar draw. No, it was too long. The, um, it was interesting because I, I think it made watching United Passions so much like back to back. Because like I said, I've read books about this, but like I hadn't yeah. read one recently. So it was a nice refresher as to who a lot of these players were. Um, the other takeaway I had from the documentary is that, man, do I want a movie about Chuck Blazer's life? Yes. Yeah, because that man is a fucking G like a dude that had no background playing sports like he coached his eighth grade daughter's team but like he's like i see that there's money involved in this i'm gonna go make some money and he saddles up next to the right people he makes his alliances when he needs to he's buddy buddy with jack warner he gets bladder his votes he ends up making enough money to have a separate apartment for his cat at trump tower which how the <laughs> fuck does the documentary skip that part like I mean. the best part there is about Chuck Blazer um, and his last line to his mistress or his, his girl when the feds are closing in is I'm just a fat crook from Queens, which is what a tagline for a film. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, the 10 season, you know, history of FIFA, each season's 10 episodes to cover a year of FIFA basically is, is the general framing. The Chuck Blazer season's going to kick ass. The 1990s are going to be awesome. No, I just, I want it. I want a fuck a 10 seasons on FIFA. I want like a two season show about just Chuck Blazer specifically. I want to know where he came from. I want to know what he was doing before he got involved in soccer. Cause that's the other takeaway I have yeah. from all of this is that like, apparently it, it was, if you were born at the right time, it was shockingly easy to get involved with FIFA, CONCACAF, U.S. soccer, and everyone that got involved with all these things got filthy fucking rich. Yeah. And it sounds like most of them got away with it. You know, it's funny. The only guy who uh, really, I'd say, like, earned the right to be there is Michel Platini. And he's the guy who really takes, like, the biggest brunt of all of the legal troubles and all of the uh, the sanctioning and being banned from the sport. And he's, like, the star player turned administrator. And everybody else is, yeah, just some jackass. I, I love how I love how Michel Platini is somehow involved in a $12 billion arms deal between France and Qatar to get <laughs> France's support for the Qatar World Cup. Yeah, like it's it's a it's an arms deal and like he keeps Airbus afloat by the best I can tell. They, right. they, oh, yeah, and they buy they buy PSG. Yeah. Yeah. And uh BN uh overspends on the uh, right. league uh, rights to keep the uh the league alive, which by the way has been League Un's uh mo forever they've bankrupted at least two other cable satellite providers by uh by doing that so the other the other guy that i really enjoyed out of the documentary because i know we're running long on this good luck editing this is the it's indignant the indignant qatari spokesperson who sounds like he's just from america wearing like a qatari outfit and just how like every accusation it's like what are you talking about everything was fine it's like you literally did a gas deal with these people five days after the vote it's like no we do gas deals all the time what are you talking about all these planes we needed planes what do you want from me it's like 
<laughs> and also, the other thing great. that I didn't I, I didn't like about this documentary, and it just bothered me, is I would have liked this documentary more if Sepp Blatter wasn't involved. Like, yeah. and that's strange to say, but like Sepp being given a voice in this really, really seems unfair when, you know, Blazer's dead, so he can't talk. Um I don't think did they, they didn't get Jack Warner in this. I don't think he was involved at any point, was he? No. All right. So Jack Warner's not involved. Platini wasn't involved. Like, so Sep is really the only person that's allowed to to talk. And yeah. I, I feel like giving him a voice here was really, really unfair to the process. But like he yeah. comes off so poorly in it. I don't know if it if it matters one way or the other. I mean, I think from Sepp's point of view is that he inherited this like political machine, this crime machine that was chugging along really nicely and they had some hiccups, but it was just generating lots of money. And at a certain point he lost control of it. And I think Russia and Qatar is the point where he loses control of this machine. And he knows it's a shitty idea, but it's too late. Everybody's already taken all the money from Qatar and it's, it's over. And at that point, didn't give it to the Americans blatant that this, this bid was uh, just an objectively poor choice to host. All of a sudden the feds are involved from the U S yeah, he, he knew they overstepped if they had just awarded it to the U S and then maybe got around to giving it to Saudi Arabia in like 2030. I think he'd still be in charge. I and think the they would have been doing just fine. And the funny thing is, is that like, so Qatar got in a lot faster than they probably should have to this. But like, if they just wait a decade, yeah. Saudi Arabia is then starts up their whole thing where their sports washing empire is start, where they're paying Vince McMahon a billion dollars to do WWE events there. They're bringing Formula One races. The money would have been there in Saudi Arabia to do the exact same deal, probably more money. And it wouldn't have looked as bad because they're already signing deals with all these other sports people. And it's like, oh, Saudi Arabia does it again versus Qatar, where it's like, wait, where the fuck did these guys get the money to do this from? Right. And I'm keep an eye out. Saudi Arabia is doing that right now. Uh, Messi's already got a hundred million dollar contract to promote Saudi Arabia to be the 2030 World Cup host. In fact, uh, Saudi Arabia has a deal with the Argentinian FA to help promote Saudi Arabia getting the 2030 World Cup, which is weird because Argentina is bidding to host the 2030 World Cup. So that'll be nice and awkward in uh, in old Argentina. So yeah, it, it'll just keep on keeping on there. Um, we're at two hours. Do we want to talk about FCC? Unless you want to get on your, do you want to get your rant in about Alex Stack? Do we need to talk about that for like 10 minutes? Let's do that. Let's just do like quick 10 minutes on that. So we'll do that in part three and then we'll quickly get out of here so I can edit this thing down. We're not going to go for 10 <laughs> minutes. That never happens. All right, we're back. We're going to talk a little FCC, believe it or not, on an FC Cincinnati podcast. Um, yeah, I just, there's not a whole lot to talk about in FCC news. Uh, I know there is a rumored player signing with some other issues going on. 
not really looking to touch on that as so much is unclear right now. Um, just in general, I will say if uh, what looks like to have happened happened, it is a massive, massive tragedy. And I will let you look up Ecuadorian newspapers on your own time. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, I do have uh, I got a little bit of a rant. I, I know I went up on my uh, my Twitter high horse on this one. And um I think I'll just like spell it out here on the podcast and you guys can tell me where I went wrong or, or I don't know, just maybe I'm preaching to the choir here, but FC Cincinnati fired Alex Steck, uh, this past week, or at least was, was made, uh, aware. We were all made aware the last uh, week or so that Alex Steck was fired. Um, which I think is another bad move in a long list of bad moves by FC Cincinnati from a communications and fan engagement perspective. Steck is essentially the successor to uh, DJ Schweitzer, who was a much-loved, uh, fan-loved uh, community liaison, social media presence uh, for the club back in the USL days. Uh, the club also unceremoniously fired him in their pursuit of moving to MLS, which is just a huge disappointment that the club is getting rid of really the one public face of the team that fans and people seem to actually like Tommy and Kevin, notwithstanding, um, I guess broadcasters get a pass here. Um, but I think it goes into a bunch of other things as well, which is in the times that I've, uh, interacted with FCC on a sort of supporters group level, it always felt that the supporters groups were an afterthought. This is strictly speaking from my own experience. And I can't speak to how that has changed over specifically the last year or so. Uh, but there was never a dedicated person. It was always a responsibility given to, uh, frankly, the lowest person on the sales totem pole was, was true the short straw to deal with the uh the supporters groups and i will say too uh sec communications not not too kind to fan outlets and fan blogs and i don't particularly care about how the post is treated although we've had our fair share of uh annoying interactions but i i can speak to other fan outlets that have been threatened their credentials threatened uh credentials pulled for different groups uh without any explicit reason why without any explicit uh boundaries being given to anybody just super weird and it just strikes me as weird that FC Cincinnati is a team that is probably most famous for having a strong, dedicated fan base. And the team seems outright hostile to that and not, I don't want to say not appreciative, but just like Kansas City or Columbus would kill for some of the fan engagement that we have here. And Chicago and, and Cincinnati seems actively annoyed by it. And it's super frustrating that a, a community liaison couldn't be hired, that they couldn't keep a popular face like Steck around the club, subway shape or form. Um, just super disappointing. So I, I needed to get that off my chest here. Uh, it's just been sort of bubbling up over the last few days and, and seeing her fired was was the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. Chief, where where am I wrong here? <laughs> I don't know that you're wrong. What I will say, though, is that so I, I wear a lot of different hats in addition to being, you know, a mostly annoying podcaster that embarrasses you <laughs> when you ride in the, kid, in the car with your kids with the amount of, you know, fucks, I say. But um, <laughs> I, I will say that the, the club does now 
a mostly pretty good job, I would say, mostly decent job interacting with supporters very quietly behind the scenes. It's not something that's broadcasted a lot. And there's a really good reason for that. And that's that when the club interacts with SGs, the louder that those interactions are, the more backlash there is from people that are like, whoa, they're just insider access. They're, you know, they're, you know, getting special treatments. Like not really. Um, If you like the fact you can buy a cheap beer uh, before kickoff, uh, that the beer prices drop down, you can thank any member of a supporters group that uh, made that happen. Um, Not to pat ourselves on the back, but where where I do think that there's, uh, there's, there's problems and where I, if I was, you know, able to have an audience with, Carl and Jeff and all these people is that a there really isn't a great voice for the fans and the supporters in these meetings, because most of the meetings that we have are reactionary that something has gone wrong, we have called asked for a meeting to correct something that's gone wrong. And there's not a lot of forethought as to how will people react to this. And the other thing too, is that I just I with DJ and Alex, specifically, um, they're just not good the club is at recognizing when the fan base likes a content producer or someone that is a vehicle for their information. And the fan base loves Alex. I like Alex a lot. She was a great guest on this show. Every interaction I've ever had with her has been nothing but positive. And John Q public, your average FC Cincinnati fan really likes Alex Steck. Back when DJ was in charge of things, the average fan or like the I guess he wasn't really as visible to the average fan. But a lot of people, we all love DJ. I still love DJ. Um, And the club just they need that ambassador role, I think. And I I really do think that's two roles that there should be someone that talks to the fans that interacts with the regular fans, the casual fan that shows up at you know, Washington Park before the match that brings their kid to be part of the kids club. The, the club should have someone recognizable that is presenting the club's message. That is, you know, is it Pravda? Yeah, it's the fucking state run media. But if yes. you have a smiling face and a good person and a person that's funny, insightful, personable to present that message, it goes down a lot better than when it's, you know, just, you know, team com source X person faceless individual and they definitely need someone who is who's really thinks long and hard about a lot of these bigger support issues in mls mostly because the support and the environment is the product in mls if you want to watch good soccer there's better soccer elsewhere you go to mls for the live experience for the fan experience for the 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 what's created in the game and so priority one and priority two should be that and Half of that is the casuals, half of that is the supporters, and it's a different role for each person. And there should be a place for both an Alex Alex Steck doing that content for the general populace and a DJ Schweitzer doing that work on behalf of the supporters and working for the supporters. It's two roles. And for an organization that makes as much money as FC Cincinnati or your average MLS organization does, you're just being cheap, not having both those roles filled. And that's stupid to me. And you're you're actively making your product worse and you're actively hurting your long-term investment in your long-term emotional investment people give into the product. I think people like to feel like the club is talking to them or interacting with them or providing them information about, you know, stuff that they want to know. Yeah. Um, people like to know about the players, people, you know, Alex Steck would come out after games and she would share fun clips from the game and, and tell you stuff about tactics and things that, that went on. Um, I, 
I just think it's, I just think the, otherwise I get the sense that the club just thinks that people who follow the team are weird and annoying and need to, and shouldn't, shouldn't want to know anything about the team except for, you know, just showing up and spending beer and who cares if they win or lose? Cause we're not really all that engaged. Cause that's, I mean, that is how I feel from how, right. from how the club um, presents itself, especially with letting somebody like Alex go. Um, and I can tell you that I'm not the only person who feels this way. Cause you look at how desperate people are especially among the most engaged members of the fan base. They download this shit. That's why they they listen to the podcast. People, you know, get, get into these little groups and they're all like, you know, Oh, who's got like the inside info. And then being able to like trade on inside info become, whether you have it or not becomes like a kind of (laughs) currency to, to, to get people to follow you when like, what I'm looking for. And I think a lot of people are looking for is just like kind of that feeling of community. Yeah. And I think having more people like Alex around the team furthers that and having her go um, is, you know, quite the blow to that feeling. And what I don't get about this move and it's just, and fuck it, I'll say it. The team's good. The players yeah. are interesting. Like this is, this is the time when you want someone like, and Alex Steck producing content, delivering interesting things to keep you engaged in the offseason. Like, why isn't the team doing a feature of where is Nick Haglin watching the World Cup? Like, I don't know. Maybe that's funny. Maybe you can do three, a three-minute video of, you know, what's your favorite World Cup snack? Who are you rooting for in the World Cup? Instead, you get these weird timed tweets that have oh nothing to God. do with the World Cup. Yes. And it's like... Like you at a certain point, I understand that, like I just said, that you're not selling the quality of the soccer in MLS, but you're absolutely selling the stars. Like, yes, I want to know what is Brandon Vasquez doing for the World Cup? Maybe he doesn't want to participate in that because he's all bummed out about not making it. But why not? Like Lucho Acosta flew over yes. to fucking Qatar and got name checked on the Fox broadcast. Why did the club not send someone with him to document Lucho's flight to Qatar? That's fucking I, easy content. We know that Tommy G and Lucho were together at some point. They took a picture. Right. Yeah. Why don't we have Tommy like a G- video? Right. right. Why wasn't there uh, someone that they just are, with yeah. Lucho when he's celebrating? Like have someone follow him and get like some content out of that. Or like just that's what like, you, you know who would be game to do this? Alex fucking Stack. Yes. <laughs> It would be fun to get some of the young guys on the team, like Roman, like, I, well, it would have been Roman Johnny was at Nelson. the fucking pitch. I, I, we, right. we had people telling us that he was with the AO watch party. Why the fuck wasn't there an FC Cincinnati person filming Roman's reaction while he watches shit? Like, right. And do like a celebratory, like, you know, like a video of all the players, uh, you know, watching it from their different apartments or bars or whatever. Celebrating they did it the for goal. the fucking Bengals. Right. It's just like, it's just so annoying. And yes, I, I forgot to mention that in my rant, the time tweets where it's just like fucking 
Brandon Vasquez and then two of the uh, emojis with like snorting steam is what I always imagine it like, like huffing and puffing or like some some muscle emojis and it's Brenner shooting. And it's like, what the fuck is this? What am I looking at? Like, could you do something more relevant? Like, good luck, Ronald Moderita and Kendall Austin in their game. Like, you have former players in the World Cup. I don't know. Talk about it. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, a question you asked at the beginning part of this is like, why does the club do this when they have such an engaged fan base? And I, I almost part of me wonders if is this just an MLS playbook like in, in this league? Like yeah. they are so desperate to be the NFL when yeah. like you're you're not the NFL, man. You can't be opaque. You can't do things your own way. You've right. got to rely on your biggest evangelists to market your sports still. Like you've got to be willing to let a blog have a media credential or have your GM out doing press and media to hype up what's going on in the offseason. You've got to do right. weird, quirky, fun content. You've got to be personable. The MLS clubs like FC Cincinnati have to feel approachable. They have to feel like they are part of the community. And whenever you hear people talk about, man, I miss the way this thing was in the USL days. And it, it's funny, yeah. like, like the aforementioned watching the Welcome to Wrexham. My wife and I are watching this, and she looks at me while we're watching and says, it kind of feels like what FC Cincinnati used to be, where the entire yeah. town knows all the players. And like there, if you watch the show, they've got a goalkeeper everybody loves over there. And she's like, that's Mitch right there. And he's signing his gloves and giving them to kids in the parking lot because there's no fucking security anywhere because <laughs> who gives a shit at semi-pro yeah. football. But like what people miss from the USL days is that feeling that the club was approachable, that it was personable, yeah. that there was some community ownership of what was going on. And when you fire someone like Alex Steck, you are firing the person who is the face and the invitation to be more involved in this club, to care more about this club, to follow this a little more closely. You are you are firing the the human face of the machine. And now yes. all you're left with is a machine that's spitting weird tweets out into the void. And I don't know. I, I've I don't I've never worked for a sports team. I'm not a comms guy, but I don't know why it, there's this assumption of like, oh, well, they're in MLS now, so they got to they got to do things differently. Why? 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 It worked in USL. Why? Yes, you might have some restrictions on like what some players can do. That's fine. Whatever. That's why you hire an Alex Steck. But like, why does it have to be different? Why does it have to be boring? Why does it have to be uninteresting? Why can't it be fun? Why can't you give every blog under the sun a dumb press credential until they start? I don't know dumping beers on top of like opposing teams media in the press box. And even if they did, that would be fun. And you'd capture the news cycle. Like, come on, like have a little more fun with this. And like, <laughs> I don't understand any argument that is like, no, we've got to keep it buttoned up and mature. And it's like, okay, because what you're the NBA, you're not, you're the NFL. You're not, you're not, you're barely the y'alls in terms of like <laughs> buttoned up professionalism, like just fucking engage in the goofiness and if you're gonna dare call yourself a club maybe act like it just throwing it out there oh all right is that enough about fcc <laughs> go off king oh i don't think we're gonna get our credentials back just throwing it out there <laughs> stack we love you if you've made it this yeah. far in the podcast you're a true g <laughs> she doesn't listen when the nda runs out we'll uh we'll, get we'll her call back on. we'll call i know a lawyer 
<laughs> oh gosh. Well, gentlemen, I think that's a pod. I've got some editing to do. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully the uh, the U.S. men's national team can get revenge against the entire country of the Netherlands for us. And until then, fuck, fuck the Columbus. Dutch. <laughs>